James Cole is coming for me. <laughs> well, and and I love I love how, how obsessed episode- he is with James Cole. Like, yeah, <laughs> he had yeah. he totally had a crush. He had like a time travel crush. And never meet your heroes, I guess, because they will shoot you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've learned that. <laughs> Welcome back to Word of the Witnesses, our 12 Monkeys rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Beep, and I am joined, as always, by the lovely Cece. Hey, guys. This evening, we have our friend... I don't know if it's evening. You can listen whenever you want. But we're recording in the evening, (laughs) and we have our friend Joe along from May We Geek Again. Hi, Hi Joe. Yay! Our pod mom! We're so excited you're here. You are. That that implies some maternal instincts, or that, like, I had any say in this, like... I think I've been doing this as long as you. I don't know. This is like an awkward phrasing, but okay. What's wrong with uh, you know everybody's so what's why do you why wrong? why does everything have to be about mothers? Hmm. Ooh. Because you're you are our mentor. Fine, our pod mentor. <laughs> no, it's, not, she's just not mine. That's what. That's the only thing I had a problem with. Like, I just don't care for as her. Long as Thank hers. you. <laughs> She, like, you, you had me on your podcast for the first time. I, that's, yeah, so, sorry, fine. Fine, pod mentor person who I don't care about. That's not <laughs> Whatever. Even, I'm not even excited that you're here. So tell us about you, where you're recording from, and where people can find you on the old, on the old internet. Ridiculous social medias yeah so uh my name's joe uh if you didn't catch any of that uh i am from the podcast may we geek again uh where we cover um sci-fi shows like the hundred and um the expanse we're going to start talk about humans um from a sort of philosophical ethical perspective uh with my main podcast uh partner Shaheen and he is a philosophy PhD student and then so we cover it from like oh God, you know, is that what's wrong with him yeah that is that okay. puts it yeah does it make a lot more sense now it really does yeah he's cheaty he's cheaty but like instead of crippling like um in you know uh indecision he's just kind of a stoner um <laughs> so anyway so that's that's what that's what I do on the internet I'm based out of Austin Texas um I like sci-fi and and making dick jokes and <laughs> I don't know if you'll cut that too. I you know I don't know your rating on this podcast, um, but I'm very happy to be here. And thank you guys so much for asking. Yes. Oh, and you can find us shit. You can find us on, <laughs> on Twitter uh, at May We Geek Again. Um, come yell at us there. Uh, you can find us on SoundCloud. Um, you can yell at us there too. Yeah, it's it's a really great podcast. It really is. Um, and lots of the people that everyone's been listening to have guested on it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Bubs, Jan, Alicia, me, like a whole lineup. Uh, yeah. Uh, Selena Wilkin has come on. Um, I'm trying Joe, Joe Garfine was on for an episode. And then we have plans to recruit all of you lovely people uh, to come watch humans with us as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I and love it. I love it because you and Jan were the ones that told me to watch 12 Monkeys. So. Oh, that's right. Yeah. What, what have we done? Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> Oopsie doodle. You created a monster. <laughs> um, yeah. So are you ready to enter the gauntlet? I guess. This sounds fun. Is this like Thunderdome? 
It's like oddly everyone survives, but you know, who knows? That's weird. What kind of apocalypse are you running here? <laughs> my so kind. I like to execute people. Yeah. It's super strange. My right. kind. My everyone kind gets of- a participation trophy in the apocalypse. Oh no! It's my fucking apocalypse. No one gets executed. Everybody makes it through the gauntlet. Um, wow. <laughs> so not an apocalypse at all. Or a gauntlet. <laughs> Listen, in Apocalypse, you have plenty of people dying because of whatever catastrophe there is. They don't then have to go kill themselves with, like, each other when there's not a lot of people left. It's stupid. It's fine. Words have no meaning. Don't worry about it. Let's go. Uh, (laughs) Joe. Yeah. Why do you love 12 Monkeys? Why did you tell me to watch? Usually everyone's on here yelling at me, but you're the one who hounded me until I watched. Why did you do that? Um, because I knew that you would like it because I feel like after knowing you for a couple of years, I, I know your brand pretty well. Um, <laughs> and you still fight me on watching certain things. And I know that eventually you will give in because I'm right. Um, but I don't know. I just, I, you know, I, I think with, uh, sort of, you know, some dissatisfaction that people were having with other sci-fi shows around the time and I knew how much you liked The Expanse and I don't know, just 12 Monkeys was awesome. Like the movie was awesome and the TV show was awesome. And how rare is it that like that kind of like two mediums can exist and like both be excellent? Yeah. Like- yeah. Like, they both stand on their own completely, and, like, some people, you know, like, I still really like the movie for some, you know, for a lot of reasons, but, like, I love the show for, like, so many, so many reasons. Um, Yeah, like, it's just, I just figured it was up your alley. There's feels, there's, you know, a ship for you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Strong female characters. Uh, It's just, yeah, and, you know, it's funny, it's good. The end. All right. Fine. Who's <laughs> be that way? Hostile gauntlet. It's really just like the eloquence is why we invited you. Oh well, well, and the dick jokes and the '90s movie references. I don't know if people are. I, there'll, there'll be some maybe geek again listeners, but I don't know if everyone's familiar with your brand that you every podcast have at least one reference to a '90s movie. You're, you're like a '90s movie savant. Thank you, I guess. Like, this is... <laughs> be sure to tell, write that down so I can give it to my mom and she can put it on her fridge. And be like, wow, I'm glad I paid a small fucking fortune for NYU. Who's your, who's your favorite character? Um, Jennifer Jones and Olivia. Why? Uh, wait, that wasn't on the run sheet. <laughs> um, now it's a gauntlet. <laughs> shit. Oh, wait, are you guys allowed to swear on your podcast? Oh, my God, yes. Okay, good. (laughs) Like, I listened to, I have listened, I have listened, even though I don't listen to podcasts, but I couldn't actually remember if people swore, so. Listen, Um, lately I've been really angry, and those F-bombs have been flying, like, a lot. So, Jennifer, um, because I just, I love how they took a very, like, they took a very iconic Brad Pitt character, like, it was so good, and, you know, in the movie, and you're kind of like, well, how are you going to sort of just, like, you know, how are you going to bring that over? And the fact that they like made, you know, made her into Jennifer. Um, and then, um, Emily Hampshire's work in it of just like, just being crazy, but not crazy. And just always kind of funny. She sort of in a lot of ways is the Greek chorus of the show. Um, and I, and I, and I love having that sort of character who sort of sees everything from like, you know, a giant bird's eye view, but is also, at the same time, so far into the thick of everything um, that she also sometimes can't see what's happening around her. I just, I, I love that as as a character. And, um, you know, she's funny and great. Uh, Jones, 
Joan just just the best, like just not fucking around. Um, yeah, and and as the show goes on, you get to like sort of see Joan soften a little, and and I really liked that um, because you know it's not often that we have sort of this hard ass character um, who also shows like sort of um, vulnerability. But at the same time, on the flip side, you have a character like Olivia who is also uh, a boss bitch, similar to Jones, but is. Um, doesn't theoretically have that sort of softness in her um, and is just always just sort of cutthroat and terrifying. But um, I love, uh, I love what we got to see in Olivia uh, in sort of the back half of season three and then into season four. Um, Plus the voice, the voice is just great. Mm -hmm. She's really soft when someone's lighting her cigarette. Exactly. And you know, I've called dibs on those episodes, right? (laughs) You don't, do you want to tease them? Why are you um, doing those episodes? Give a teaser. Oh, the teaser is Jones and Olivia banged. That's the teaser. <laughs> and I will provide contextual evidence. I will have a PowerPoint presentation. There will be a laser pointer. Like, there, it will be irrefutable. I expect uh, uh, Terry to slide into my DMs and say, here's the cut footage that you, that, that I know that your heart needs. So, yeah. <laughs> I need a minute. <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> what's your favorite moment? Um, so so I, I actually have a little bit of a critique about this episode specifically in the way that like it did its humor. But I will say like overall for the show, um, there's less of like a specific favorite moment and just like that sometimes the comedy in the show or like the absurdity is just – they just go for it and it completely clicks. And I'm usually kind of against like sort of jokiness in a quote in, in a, in a mostly serious show, because a lot of times it doesn't land right. But I would say for the most part, this show does land it right. I remember because you, I mean this lovingly are not always prone to emotional outbursts as, as say I am. And no, <laughs> but uh, that's like a different plane of existence. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember bef- you got to watch season four before I did. Mm-hmm. And so you kept like, I remember when you watched the finale and you were losing your shit. And now looking back on it, it was over. I've had the time of my life. Yes. And yeah. you, lo- you were, like, losing your mind, but you couldn't explain why. And you were like, just just let me know when you're there. Because well, um, I also that- knew how much you fucking just love the 80s, like, <laughs> type, like, those teen movies. And, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I I just, the show, like, you know, and, and Jennifer with the, um, in, in the, in the, foxhole with 99 Love Balloons and, like, the Hitler episode. Like, the Hitler episode was, like, perfection. Like, like, what fucking show? Of course. Of course, in a time travel show, you're going to kill Hitler. Like, just the fact that, like, they checked that box was was a delight to me. Um, it felt very meta to me. Yeah. Nah. I, yeah. I like that the show is very aware of itself, but not in, not in a way that, like, breaks it, even though, by all accounts on paper, it should break it, but it doesn't. I don't know how to explain that. Maybe it's, it's like they're conscious of the fourth wall, but they're not breaking it. Exactly. They're just po- <laughs> yeah. they're just giving it a little poke, and it tickles in between your ribs. <laughs> right. I think we mixed a lot of metaphors there. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> that was intense. <laughs> uh, 
<sighs> do you, all right, so this is so interesting because this is going to be the opposite of when we had Amy on last week. Uh-huh. Do you think Cassie stopped the countdown? So, so every time I rewatch the show, I become less convinced that she did. And it's just because as you watch, like, Cassie sort of struggling with it, like, you sort of, like, and and this is the perfect episode to be talking about it because it's when, um, you know, scary burn victim, not Aaron, came and, like, told her about uh, the Red Forest and all of that. And, you know, you can kind of see the wheels turning and stuff. But, like, as you kind of keep watching and she, like, fights so hard for Ethan and, like, you know, fights so hard, as I kept watching it, like, the way that Amanda Shaw like ha- played her micro expressions and like her doubts and insecurities, like it made me really question whether or not she did. Like she looks very duplicitous many a time, and I'm like, well, you know, like is it enough that like, and maybe this is my lack of romance and heart, but is it enough that like you know Cole asking her to do it would be enough? Kind of a thing. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't agree with me, but. The the more I watch it and the fact that they gave us sort of a nebulous answer, like, I, I, I bet that she probably, like, stopped it and, like, everything's fine. But, like, I'm also not not convinced that she didn't. No, I agree with the rewatching part. Like, I, you know, I remember when it ended and it didn't occur to me and then I watched, I mean, I read some of those, like, <clears throat> interviews and kind of, like, analysis afterward. And then I was like, oh, right? Like, I it, Oh, huh. No, I think it's fine. <laughs> and then you go back and rewatch. <laughs> like, I think, um, I, I've, I think I've told you guys this before. Like, Mr. Chick and I being like dorky lawyers will be like, you know what? It makes it past summary judgment. Like, you get to go to trial. But I think it probably loses. But I, but it, but it holds a lot more water than I gave it credit for when I first read about that alternative ending. It was particularly when you watch an episode like this. You yeah. just really start to appreciate it, – it may not change your answer, but you really appreciate the groundwork that we didn't realize was being laid to lead up to that moment of conflict. Right yeah. There. Yeah. And, and like- season two. Yeah, exactly. Like, to see Cassie sort of start to doubt things now, and then watching kind of as she has everything taken away from her, and that the Red Forest does become wildly more appealing, in some ways, it's sort of hard for me to sort of think that, that she would come back from that, that... That, that that all of the things that had convinced her that the Red Forest would be a good thing, that suddenly she would be like, well, no, I guess I guess it's better to, to you know, live in the moment and, you know, have things have a beginning and an end, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, logically, sure, but she makes a pretty compelling, like, side-eye case for it not. Um, yeah, so I, I'm, I, I think probably she did, but, like, she also maybe possibly didn't. Yeah, it's a great episode to dig into that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, would you stop the countdown? Yes. Um, if only because I feel like living forever would be, like, really terrible. Um, like, if nothing new happens. Like, if you're living in, like, a moment, um, you know, if it's one thing to be, like, you know, you're, you know, an immortal vampire or something like that, you know, whatever. Because um, then you get to still move through time, right? 
Mm-hmm. But even that, you know, you have somebody, um, you know, like Ethan, who that's not even great either, because, you know, something could happen where you can't stop the death of a loved one or something, no matter, you know, what you do, um, which is, you know, he he's able to move non-linearly through time. Um, but I, I just feel like dwelling in the same emotional space would be kind of boring. I don't know. I just I, I, I can't kind of wrap my head around why that would be a good thing. Would your perfect moment involve queso? Um, you know, see, that's the problem is that in in one moment, I could say <laughs> yes, it absolutely would. But in another moment, I might want, you know, some some Ben and Jerry's peanut butter chocolate ice cream. And I have already picked, you know, my one moment and it's queso. And then for all eternity, I'm stuck with queso when really, you know, I would like some ice cream. And right. so that's, I, yeah, I think that that might be the most compelling argument against the forest. <laughs> like, can you imagine something that would make you not want to have queso? That's what I'm saying. Like, it, it would just be, it would ruin it. And, and that's why I think, like, living forever is, is possibly appealing. Maybe, though, even that mm, iffy, living for a really long time, I don't know. But like, being stuck in one moment and not kind of knowing that, like, do you feel boredom? Do you, are you cognizant of the fact that you were stuck in this moment? And eventually after, you know, a millennia, you're like, oh, I went off this ride. Um, <laughs> or are you not? Like, do you not know? And then at that point, it's like, well, so are you alive? Like, is that is that even life? If you're just in, you know, like a, a circuit that just keeps looping. We got into the weirdest debate about this, right? Because then it became like, how is the perfect moment chosen? And right. there's some sort of hierarchy for who gets to pick. And then my argument was to one of our friends that my favorite moment was watching her watch something that made her miserable. <laughs> and, was, and then it was like, wait a minute. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I just want to watch you watch that. That's my perfect moment. Right. And, and so is, like, are there, are there, minute, is there another copy of her? So that you can have your perfect moment and she can have hers independently. Right, because what if you're not in someone else's? Like, what if my perfect moment was talking to Joe and Joe's like, who the fuck are you? Right? Like, that would be super awkward because I am not good with confrontation. So we would be in eternity of me wanting to end this conversation. And I would be wildly uncomfortable and like having pit sweats about it. And you would be oblivious. All while finding yourself for the first time in your long life hating queso. Right? And I'm just like, what? How is this a perfect moment? Yeah, just uh, stop countdowns, people. That's all I can that's, tell you. That's, that's, the, that's the takeaway. <laughs> uh, do you ha- I'm glad we worked that out. I feel like we can put that question to bed now. <laughs> Did you have a favorite era for costumes alone? Um, so I... I'm not a huge, like, I'm a little bit of a costumes person. Um, not as much on this show, I would say. Um, obviously, I will give a shout out to post-apocalyptic Henleys. Um, that is just a constant throughout whatever sci-fi show I watch. Um, <laughs> but less of an era. I was, I really loved the little, like, the little nods that the show does to the movie. And so one of them was having Jennifer in the, in the yellow tracksuit that, that Brad Pitt wore in the movie. And I, I love that detail. Like, I love the little, like, Oh, you, hey, remember the movie? Wink, wink. Um, I like that stuff. Did Girlfriend have a favorite costume? She's super into, like, costumes. Yeah, she super is. I probably super should have asked her. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say, and she will probably kill me for this, um, you know, let's just go with, like, Cassie killing the Nazis. Like, she's a pervert. That's fine. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
I mean, she looks really good. I think I think that they didn't go back in time far enough to like get to like the crazy opulent like wait, was there a 1920s? Yeah. Like if we had some 20s stuff, she's obviously very mm. into that. They didn't do the 20s. Yeah, like the most we got was like kind of the party that they were at um in in France. Yeah, they did the 30s. Yeah, right? which yeah. like you know, things were at war, so maybe not quite as, like, snazzy. Um, I don't know, though. Jones and Cassie looked phenomenal. Yeah. No, I was not complaining. I was not yeah. sad about any of that. Um, yeah. yeah. So uh, I was going to ask, has, it, has this show made you cry? But you don't cry. No. <laughs> no. So, did it make Girlfriend cry? I remember you saying she was sobbing at one point. Oh, God. Like, when did she not cry? Um, <laughs> oh, my <laughs> I'm trying to think. Like, I'm sure that there. Oh, oh, yeah. She was wildly pupset when um, Deacon got beheaded. Mm. Oh, God, spoilers! <laughs> oh wait, sorry. Are we not doing spoilers? I'm just what? kidding. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I'm like, wait. I just talked about Hitler. Like, come on now. Talk about Deacon's cock sock. It's fine. Sock cock cock sock. Whatever. <laughs> All right. She's doing. Nose tent, isn't Oh, yeah. No, I, I can hear it. <laughs> you don't think I know my own nose tent? Cece's own nose tent? Whatever. You know what I mean. No, we've never talked about it on here. Oh, I really? I don't nose tent as listeners, often. Listeners. Listeners. If you... <laughs> She's going to cut this. If, <laughs> if you listen, like I'm doing it right now, like you can see, hear the change in my voice. And that is when uh, Cece, in person, if you ever meet her at any of the cons that we go to, um, she takes a breath and sort of makes a little a pyramid on her nose with her fingers. And it means that she's deep in thought and about to like destroy whatever you had said. <laughs> No, this show doesn't make me angry. (laughs) I do that for other shows. (laughs) All right, let's get into the episode. Um, So today we're discussing Immortal. It's written by Ian Sobel and Matt Morgan. They also wrote Nature in season three. It's directed by David Green. Um, David Green is also the cinematographer for half of the series. He was nominated um, for the American Society of Cinematographers for Mother. Um, so I don't, I, I forgot to look up if this was like his first time directing or if he's directed other stuff and just stepped into the director's chair for this episode, but that's kind of fun. Good for him. Yeah. Good job, uh, bud. Because, I mean, he made the show look beautiful. So, yeah. Yeah. So I just, before we dig into sort of the plot This is our second traveling to the past, like our past. So we had the 1940s. This is our the second time we're going to the 1975. And when you compare this episode and the way it looks, like even just like the lighting and the cinematography to the 1940s episode, it's pretty remarkable. It it like looks like a 1970s film. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, like the 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 colors are are um, they're sort of yellowy. Yeah, if that makes sense. Like, there's like a mustardiness. There's like a polyester coating to everything. <laughs> like cigarette stains on. Yeah, it. like, like it, it just everything looks a little nicotiney, but like not yeah. in a nicotine and like Scotch way. Like in a nicotine and like I don't know whatever they drank in the 70s uh, <laughs> kind of way. Yeah, Does but that make I sense? was. Yeah, I mean, I had a moment where I'm like, gosh, this really looks like the 70s. And then I stopped. I was like, no, Tina, it looks like a 1970s movie. (laughs) It doesn't look right. (laughs) You know, so it's kind of this interesting, um, maybe this is, 
and stop me if this is obvious to everyone else, but I just had a moment of thinking about this juxtaposed with the 1940s episode and how much when you're talking about these decades where we had film and or television, how much that film or television influences us in 2019 about what we think that era looked like, if that makes sense. So every time I see anything that is actually from the 70s, like – Everyone just looks like they smelled. Like everyone, like, and I know, and and the answer that everyone gives me is, it was the polyester, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, no, I get it. You don't need to explain textiles to me. Like, but everyone looks like hairy and sweaty and smelly. Um, And I I, I will say I didn't get that vibe as much really from this. uh, And maybe, you know, they just did a good job, you know, cooling everyone down and nobody wanted to be sweaty on set. Um, Canada. They were Canada. Because Canada. <laughs> uh, because it was probably minus a million there anyway. Um, but yeah, like the 70s, I don't know, just everyone looked sweaty and uncomfortable. And I just imagine that it was very smelly back then. Well, it's funny because the 1940s episode looked like a colorized version of like a Bogart and Bacall, right? Mm-hmm. Film. This looks like... You name, you know, like the French Connection or like seventies movies. It looks like that, and I just think I just like they turned that around. That was two episodes ago, so it's just kind of remarkable how they're playing with kind of a different look, even in the cinema, like even with the cinematography, depending on what the era is. And I don't, I, I was trying to think of other. I mean, not on a television show. Have can I think of a show that kind of nailed that? Like, it it not only looks like the era in terms of the costume, but even, like, the style of filmmaking reminds you of that era, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, the only one that I can really sort of think of would be something like Carnival, um, which I will – I'm even just saying the name. I'm still angry it was canceled. Um, And that, like, kind of did a very – it was less, I think, about the shots that they took and more just, like, incredible sets and costuming and stuff. Like, they really, really did a good job with it. Um, But, yeah, a lot of shows, like, they try and do something set in a time period or whatever, and it's just like – wow, you put some people in some uniforms. Wow, good job, guys. Or like you like got some stock cars, you know, like some some period piece cars that you parked in the background. And a lot of times it does fall flat. And especially for a show that is not massive, like 12 Monkeys was never massive. Um, the fact that they sort of were able to like nimbly sort of make these changes and 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 achieve that effect is is really remarkable. Yeah, like, I mean, you know, the costumes, I thought the costumes were great. They mm-hmm. range from, like, people looking hot to people looking ridiculous. Like, and Ramsey always gets the short end of the stick. Yeah, what were the, with those fingerless <laughs> gloves? Like, cons- <laughs> like, I wasn't born then, so, like, maybe I just don't know, but was that the look? Oh, shit. I, I asked my parents a bunch of questions. I forgot to ask my dad if he ever wore fingerless gloves. I'm pretty sure the answer is no. Well, he, he always has those on because his hands are messed up, though. From the splintering. He always has something on his hands. Is that what it is? Yeah. Remember when he splintered? Like, his his hand is, like, all... It looks like it's burned, essentially. His his hands are messed up. Wow, oh, I never noticed Never that. noticed that. There, it was, it, there was only once or twice they actually showed it, because then you would just have to do it every time. Huh. But, like, from the So makeup department was, like... Seven, Get him gloves. <laughs> like, I think it was... They showed it, like, when he was in jail, I think. That, like, his... Yeah, his... 
when he splintered originally, like after that, he started having really bad side effects. And even, you know, in the 44 one, they talked about like how you've aged here and you've done this or whatever. Like his hands are jacked up, or at least one of them is. Huh. And so I feel like they always kept him in gloves after that. So they didn't have to do that makeup every time. Wow, I never realized that. Okay, but the gloves were kind of dumb still, though, right? I mean, I'm not saying they're not dumb. I'm <laughs> the saying shirt, they're theoretically the sh- functional. The shirt was amazingly bad. Oh, oh yeah, but that was like, that was just great. Yes. <laughs> um, I thought, like, the cars were great. I actually, like, so many times when you're watching a show that's shot in Toronto and you've spent any time in New York, you're like, that that's not New York. No, that's not New York. <laughs> this one, when they, like, where they have, like, the hold-up, like, the hold-up situation with the hostage in the market, I was like, yeah, I totally buy that. That could, that could look like Queens or the Bronx. I totally buy that. So I just thought it was, like, I just, now that we're, like, doing this rewatch and looking at trying, like, you have time now that you're not as focused on the plot and just kind of, like, taking in what they were creating week to week. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, you know, to be honest, this wasn't, on first watch, one of my favorite episodes. And watching it this time, I just appreciate it a lot more and just kind of thinking about what they put together in terms of the 70s with sets and costumes and cinematography and all of that. Um the other um, the other thing I was thinking about just in terms of, you know, despite this kind of bonkers plot, we've had a couple episodes now in a row where they're really letting you spend time with characters in pairings. Mm-hmm. So you're getting to kind of like dig into either in, in this episode, either old friendships like Cole and Ramsey and whether they're old and or still current kind of like fissure points, but then also kind of continuing the new relationship that's developing between the friendship between Cassie and Jennifer. I think that it goes a long way to why we end up being so invested in these friendships by the end of the show. Um, It's because of episodes like this, where you have people in these pairings where, you know, it's at this point, like kind of an ensemble show, but they let you have all of these pairings. And they're going to do it in different ways later, right? We're going to have Ramsey pair off with Cassie, we're going to have Deacon pair off with Cole. The title of the episode, Immortal, means a lot of different things. Joe, I know you were thinking about one big one that sort of goes toward, you know, this episode kind of lays out the Army of the Twelve Monkeys vision of the Red Forest for the first time. And you had some thoughts about the title of the art of the episode about that, right? Wait, did I? You had a post-it note. God, <laughs> Wait, where did it go? Thought. Where did my post-it note go? You said it later on. Um, that the Red Forest, we live forever, it means immortal. Oh, wait, my post-it note is gone. Whatever. Anyway, um, you can cut this beep. Whatever, it's fine. Um, oh, yeah, just- she already said that before in the original answers. So. Oh, did I? already talking no, about No, 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 meaning I can just say it if this Okay. <laughs> I think the the episode has – the episode title Immortal has some kind of obvious right off the top, right? Like Kyle Slade, he calls himself the Immortal. He got the name from the King of Cyrus to Persia's Warriors, which I never realized like the Battle of Thermopylae, like the movie The 300, 300, that those were – that army is – those are the Immortals that like fought in that battle. Me neither. Today I learned. <laughs> so who fought the Spartans? Um, and is the Spartans, right? I am Sparta, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, this is Sparta, but. This is Sparta. Good job. I don't know. Gerard Butler was yelling it. I didn't think I paid that close attention. 
You're thinking I am Spartacus. Yes. <laughs> we are not Kirk Douglas. That was Kirk Douglas, right? I don't know. It was Spartacus. <laughs> I don't know if you're listening. <laughs> um, so that's sort of, that's where he got his name from. Immortal now also makes me think of Ethan. That's what his name means. Yeah. But sort of this more subtextual meaning to the name of the episode is because this episode we get the opening argument from the Army of the Twelve Monkeys via Ghost Aaron. I guess we're going to have to decide. Are we calling him Berm Victim Aaron, Ghost Aaron? <laughs> we have to. I had forgotten. So, and I know, and this means this is absolutely in no offense to the actor uh, who plays him, but like. Even when I went back and rewatched the show for the first time after not seeing it for like, you know, a long, like a year or so, um, I had completely forgotten about Aaron. Like, I didn't even, like, I didn't even remember that he had existed, like, in the show until I was like, oh, that guy, I forgot. Cassie had a boyfriend. And then, like, watching this episode, I was like, oh, yeah, this is the episode where Aaron comes back. Oh. Oh. I know, I feel terrible, sort of. (laughs) Um, But it's the first, so I think the title of the episode goes to that as well. Shouldn't the witness have have known that she would have preferred Cassie, or that Cassie would have preferred Cole? Well, if you're going to be strategic, if you're if you're Olivia, you and you're a master manipulator. Maybe what she was thinking was this: this guy was his boyfriend. She feels guilt over his death. I'm talking to her about bringing people back from the dead. Yeah, but Cole's alive, so why would it be Cole? Right. Initially, anyway. I mean, you know what I mean. Like, how could you even have a conversation like that? But like to know that like that Aaron was not her like one true person. Like, I don't know, like, to bring back some dude that she was kind of meh on to begin with, I'm just kind of like, not your best work, Olivia. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but it's somebody that she felt that it's, uh, we'll get to that scene. Fine, (laughs) fine. He's like, we can be together forever. And she's like, whoa, Whoa, (laughs) hard pass, buddy. This is two for two. Um, Though I will say when I hear Immortal, um, I, as an angsty teenager, I'm like, oh, Evanescence, is that what we're listening to? Um, Yeah, you're welcome. That's in your head now. No. Yeah. I don't even know. I don't uh, know because I don't even know that. I don't think I know that. I'm going to send you the link. Don't do that. (laughs) Um, Send it like disguised as something else, please. (laughs) (laughs) Cassie and Cole fanfic. (laughs) (laughs) And then it's really horrible, like emo rock. That's really mean. (laughs) Christian metal. Uh, So, all right. Anyway, so that's another like this is basically a pitch for – Okay, audience, you've heard, and and Cassie, you've heard that this is supposedly hell on earth. What we think it is, is really a key to immortality. So that was a really long discussion that I didn't intend on (laughs) the name of the episode. But (laughs) let's move into 2044. Uh It opens with Jones and Eklund, like, sad, flirting on the rooftop for what is probably, I I can't remember in the next episode if they have a rooftop moment, but I'm going to miss them. Um, And Eklund, like... I love how he's like all business and then he like slips in the like feast those beautiful eyes on this. (laughs) It's so like I have such a heart like I'm one of those people who once I like fixate on an actor in a certain role, I have a hard time. So I'm like, "Mm, Colonel Ty, shady, (laughs) go crawl into a bottle. I know, right? He's a fucking Cylon. Jones, get away. Like or we're fine with Cylons. I don't know. But yeah, no, I, I liked I liked his like. 
flirty old manness. I know. I just got kind of sad because I was like, oh, we only have him for one more episode. Um, there's some, there's the opening, you know, kind of fake out where Cole and Ramsey are <clears throat> like playing hide and seek with Sam. And it's almost like, it's funny. It's funny when you watch the whole episode again because you realize that they're like foreshadowing how how hard Cole is going to coal in this episode. And <laughs> down to Ramsey saying, God damn it. <laughs> he says it when they're playing hide and seek. He's going to say it later. Um, and then I love how, how Jones shows up and is basically like, no fun. There will be no fun in this facility. <laughs> um, I love how they feel like they have to explain themselves. Like Ramsey's like, what? You can't play outside. Like you have to. <laughs> Make excuses to her. I know. Um, she just looked so shocked that people were enjoying themselves. <laughs> um, it's a grandma look. <laughs> well, grandmas are usually the ones that let kids get away with shit. No, Cole's grandma. Yeah. <laughs> Some grandmas do. Uh, Jones is not that grandma. I feel like they're one way or the other. Like, there's no in between. <laughs> she's, she's the one that does the grandma arm grab. You know, the, like, vice grip. <laughs> yeah, she's that grandma. I don't. I never had that grandma. That's a kind of grandma. Oh my god! <laughs> it's like, like you could, like she could break wrist bones. That kind of grip. <laughs> like you are not getting away from that grandma grip. It's true. That, it's a thing. Okay. Like, like child services kind of thing. <laughs> no, no. Like, like, like it's tight, but like you're just not escaping. Like if you pull, you're gonna hurt yourself. So oh, don't God. pull. Oh, stop hurting yourself. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds all above board. All right. Um, so <laughs> that takes us to Sam and Ramsey having what is kind of a long time coming conversation where Sam clearly now knows sort of the choices that his father's made. You mean the bad choices that and selfish choices that Ramsey has made? I think it depends on your perspective. I think it does not. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sam does the thing. We've debated that a lot. I know you. Do you want to just say where you stand on it? <laughs> I mean, Fuck. like at, at least Sam, like at, at least Sam isn't a fucking idiot. Like, uh. like Ramsey, come on, like. Uh, sorry, I'm getting all enraged right now because I'm just thinking about about. Ramsey being like, I have a son. And obviously, like, that's foreshadowing to, like, you know, uh, Cole having a son in the future or whatever. But, you know, he's like, you know, take care of your boy. Don't be a junkie, like, to, to the waitress and stuff. And I'm just like, like, it's like he, like, lost his whole identity for some kid who, like, is probably maybe his. <laughs> <laughs> it's his kid. Are I we sure? That's in question. <laughs> is he? It's it's. <laughs> I mean, she left because she got pregnant. It's not like she was... Oh, my God. What are you trying to say about Elena, Joe? <laughs> I'm just saying, like, you know, child support, you got to find someone to pay. Oh, God. Um, I, <laughs> I can't. With I, you guys aren't going to let me back on your podcast, are you? <laughs> Well, I, I, if, the reason why I left is every time when I was watching this episode, every time Ramsey talked about his son or that, I know that of all of the things in the show, this drives Joe crazy. <laughs> Fucking <I> crazy. <laughs> it, 
Oh my god. Well, Kirk hated it too. Yeah. So and it's not like I'm like say that. Like, weird. No, no. I don't mean. I don't mean the lot. I'm not even talking about the like my son. I I mean like this. The choice that he made to choose his son over, um, everybody else basically. Yeah. It is very interesting to hear the other side of it when, in theory, because like I, I was watching a show today that did that. It was really interesting how the mother made a choice. And she never explained herself for, like, why she made this really horrific choice. And it was because her her child's life had been put in danger. But she never explained herself because she didn't want the weight of that on her child. Which I thought was very interesting. Yeah, of course you would. Yeah, because maybe you shouldn't put that on your kids. So, like, hey, also, Ramsey, not only do you doom everyone else, you're also kind of a crap dad. Well, we don't know how, we don't know how Sam found out. Um, in fact, Ramsey didn't want him to know. In the last couple, a he's couple a smart kid. Well, I mean, here's the thing: it is what I like about this scene is kids often do have sort of a clarity. Maybe sometimes it's more black and white, but sometimes they look at a situation and they're like, "That's wrong." And adults are the ones that are like trying to rationalize. Oh, you know that that's a part of a part of like adolescent development, though. Like little little kids, um, as you as you enter like adolescence and go through puberty, is when your mind actually starts to really sort of basically come up with gray areas. Um, Yeah, as as little kids, things are actually very black and white. Um, yeah, sometimes in a in a way that you like wish they would be for adults. Like yeah. my kids will see things going on right now in the world, and they'll be like. uh, isn't that a bully? Or isn't this like? And I'm like, yeah, yes, yes, <laughs> you're you're correct. Because you can't. Because they don't they don't have that extra. It's complicated. Like, no, it's not fucking complicated. This is right. This is wrong. Like, that's it. Right, right. I mean, I think also it is whether Sam's a kid or not. Even when you're talking about the end of this show, for example, with like Cole and Cassie, it is. E- I think it's easier to sacrifice yourself than to ask a person to sacrifice someone they love. Sure. You know, so for I mean, Sam, in some ways is giving him it's easy. It's easier for Sam to say that than for Ramsey to do it. But he's also giving him an absolution that I think helps move Ramsey forward into not just like reluctant. He's going to pitch in to the mission um, when there's an emergency. But he's now act like in this episode, he actively volunteers to go. And I think it's that conversation with Sam that gives him that's like a turning point for him where he feels like he can do that because his son is saying and it makes me sad because his son's going to tell him to do exactly that when he's dying in season three. Right. Like you got to you got to end this. You have to kill the witness. Um, I think also sort of like the way the narrative sets up the primaries, like this whole episode is a big setup for the audience to be as duped as Cole. Yeah. You know, because we've had all these episodes this season with Jennifer and with Tommy Crawford where they're crazy, we're learning makes sense, and they're predicting things, they know things, and both the audience and the other characters are realizing, uh, like, these people know what they're talking about. So it kind of sets us up to fall for believing what Kyle Slade's saying. Some of it's right, but some of it is his, like, fucked up interpretation of it. Um, Like, he's... They all are getting the same images, and his interpretation of it with the same set of images is wrong. Well, he is both primary and batshit. Okay, <laughs> he's, a, because, he's a twofer. Right. A lot of people have had the... I see, he's not the first one to have the idea of, like, well, why don't we just start killing primaries? Like, 
that makes sense in a you know completely logical way. I mean, he's he, he can't paradox people. him if they're already dead. Exactly. He but he's slaughtering people like he. This is he's making blood monkey paintings. Like yeah. that's like a little. Ooh, it's a little far. Yeah, and right. like tying together skin and stuff. He's yeah, he's he's got a whole other thing going on. Because like right. on the face, like fine, yeah. He, paradox the primary or kill the primary so they can't be paradoxed. Totally cool, great. I'm actually kind of on board. Fucked up, but all right, fine. Um, but yeah, when you're when you're like then like doing like a little Buffalo Bill business um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with it. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I think you know what's interesting is that. We've talked before, like, we've seen what these images did to Jennifer and and her, like, mental health and, like, the stability, like, her stability in her life. We've seen ta- – she was locked up. We saw that Tommy Crawford was locked up. So it shouldn't be actually surprising that not everybody handles this. Like, nobody's handling it well, but there's, like, a spectrum. And, you know, he also went off to Vietnam – he probably has PTSD, right? Like, I mean, so he's fucked up in all kinds of ways in addition to having visions of maybe stuff. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, so, yeah. James Cole is coming for me. <laughs> well, and and I love, I love how, how obsessed epi- he is with James Cole. Like, yeah. <laughs> he had, yeah. he totally had a crush. He had like a time travel crush and never meet your heroes, I guess, because they will shoot you in the face. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've learned that. <laughs> um, so when you have them all in the situation room and Jones is laying out sort of this, this is the quandary. This guy's a fucking serial killer. Um, and you can see right away that like, this is going to be a problem for Cole, <laughs> right? Like the chances that he's going to do what Jones says are like, even from, like, watching this scene, right? Um, There were a couple uh, interesting things about the way the show, the way this episode takes the moral quandary and, like, starts at a baseline and then ramps it up. So the first step is, okay, now the person you have to protect, they're a serial killer. Next step up, you're going to go there on the day that someone's actually being killed and you shouldn't save her. Then they're going to get there and then they're going to ramp it up even more. Oh, and by the way, she is a kid, right? And then you're going to have to be there, right? It's very different to be like sitting in a room talking about like a newspaper clipping and about something that already happened and then be there watching it happen in front of you and know that you could do something to stop it and all of the human emotions that go along with that. And like, Joe, I know like, so maybe geek again, you guys break this down all the time with Shaheen. Oh, God. About, right? About partiality. Yep. Right? Like, who's in front of you? How does that make you feel? Versus, like, if you, I'm not sure if I'm like describing this right, right? Yeah. Like, so, so the idea of it is like, um, well, part of it is also that we we only have sort of a finite uh, capacity to care. And sort of if you picture yourself as like this little nucleus and like your, sort of circle of, of caring goes outward from you. And whether that's proximity or um, people that you have interpersonal relationships with, but, but at a certain point, there is a limit, you know, so it, it, it's why we can kind of become not, they'll, they'll call it numbness to like, you know, giant 
terrible catastrophes and stuff like that. But you know, it's not necessarily even numbness. It's 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 that you physically do not have the the capacity to to emote and empathize on, you know, a scale of thousands and thousands and thousands of people or somebody, you know, way across the world. You can say, "Well, yeah, that's sad, but like, you know, I my caring is is within this sort of group that that matters to me. And the partiality, you know, it, it also has to do with, it's not even just necessarily proximity, like two people could be standing in front of me, you know, maybe CC and someone that I don't know. And if I'm if I'm Oh God, now I'm nervous. I know, do, I know, Joe? which way is this gonna go? <coughs> I, I thought about doing both of you I and then I was like, that's got weird. Murdered. <laughs> Somebody's gonna <laughs> die. Um, but you know, the idea is that, you know, if someone has a relationship to you, then you are more likely to have, you know, uh, a ca- the the ability to care. Um, and yeah, so we, we talk about this uh, a lot on on the podcast, because it's, you know, if you're going to make a decision in, in, the, in the sense of like Ramsey, for example, he, <clears throat> his sort of feeling, uh, you know, towards his son is allegedly, I guess, so strong that he is willing to sacrifice everything else that's so far outside of his circle just to save this one this one person. And this is what like this is what is built into the trolley car problem, right? Mm-hmm. You've got more people in one car and then somebody you know in the other, right? It's it's a version of the trolley problem, sure. Yeah. So what I think is the irony to me when I was watching this scene is for Jones to be the one saying, Nope, can't you know, I strongly advise you let the you let the woman die. When she's doing this whole fucking thing to, to save, save her daughter. one person, <laughs> right? But we, but we don't know that yet. Well, yes, we do. Wait, because she- yet, yeah, yeah, we do. We don't know that our daughter's alive, but we do. And she and Ramsey, oh, like, that's right. each other on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Sorry um, about that. But My she's bad. like rewriting history in a way Herstory. that like, creates a new loop that yeah, that person all- isn't killed. She's not just like moving her out of the way of the yeah. Plague. But Cole, but Cole saved Ramsey in the season one finale. Right? Because he cared about him, even though history was written that Ramsey died on that day. So all of them are saving people that they care about, causality be damned, like over and over and over again. It, you know, they're going to have the same problem with Gail later on, right? Like, but they make whether or not, like, the reason why they're sitting in this room and they're like, nope, we got to let the woman die, it, it comes down to they don't know her, right? That's what is not, it's like, not pushing them over the line until they're actually in front and then feel sort of the weight of, we'll get to it. It's like a different <coughs> philosophical problem, right, Joe? Like killing someone versus standing letting, by and letting, letting them die. Become, yeah. yeah. So I just thought it was interesting. Like, I think there is some hypocrisy is not the right word. I just think it's human nature, right? That like, whether or not you know someone or care about them impacts like what you're willing to do and those types of moral calculations, particularly when you're just sitting around in a room and talking about it in terms of a hypothetical. Right. Like they're talking about a hypothetical girl who ha- or woman, you know, who who died decades before. And you're yeah. like, well, she's already dead. Like, just go back. Let her be dead again. You know, let her die yeah, again. They're in the, so- the situation room being like old newspaper. Who dis? <laughs> <laughs> right. But what so. the episode's going to do is be like, oh, yeah. All right, now we're going to give her a kid. Now we're going to have you sit there in the alley and watch this serial killer punch her in the face and knock her on the ground. How about now? How about now? So, yeah, I think it's kind of like an interesting exploration about how human beings make these moral calculations and what impacts that. And a lot of it is emo- is emotion, right? Like, and that's not a bad, like, that's just 
that's just human beings. You're, you're um, about to say that's not a bad thing. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um so we have like it is there there is like a lot of one-liners back and forth like this is a prime cole and ramsey like I, what i do think is funny is ramsey's all leap and no look little brother and cole's like my hero and i'm like well actually cole yeah he is he's gonna <laughs> save your ass at the end of this episode yeah yeah um, we go to 1975, serenaded by Fog Hat's Slow Ride, which was released in 1975. I wanted to take a minute really quickly before we delve into the plot. And we're going we're gonna to take the 1975 plot first, and then we're going to take the 2016. So this episode takes place New York City in two different years. Um, it's kind of fun. They're both at the Emerson Hotel, but two characters are in 1975 and two are in 2016. But this is what I love so much about this that I didn't really appreciate on first viewing is that this isn't like a generic 1970s episode. This is a very specific like portrait of New York City, a very specific summer in 1975, this fierce city. It's just like so well-researched. Um, had you guys heard about Fear City before watching this episode? Um, I did because you told me about it and then I watched the episode. So technically, <laughs> yes. I meant the first time, though. <laughs> um, no, I mean, like, I was aware that, like, New York in the 70s and, like, up through much of the 90s, but, like, especially 70s and 80s was, like, not a good place. Um, right. So, like, I didn't necessarily know of it as, you know, the, the advertising of Fear City, but yeah. that shit was not great. Right. So if we like before we jump into that, I, I want I didn't want to forget, like a lot of 1970s movies, understandably, given how fucked up things were generally, like with sort of Watergate and Vietnam War and a lot of reasons for disillusionment, that that was reflected in a lot of the films. And I think it's interesting that this episode kind of either either it, it pertains to the plot or or it's just sort of like how things turn out. There's a lot of like disillusionment kind of woven into this, right? Like you you go to the cops, but the cops like, you know, when Cole's like, we'll go to the cops. And, and Ramsey's like, not in this era, <laughs> right? Like super corrupt, which is like actually the subject of a lot of films from the 70s, like Serpico, which is even mentioned in the episode. But also the whole idea of like, save the girl. Mm -hmm. And then the girl turns out to be kind of a jerk and super ungrateful, <laughs> right? Like, um, so you like think it's like, oh, this like hardworking, and, and she is hardworking waitress, like with a kid, but it turns out, well, she's kind of a drug addict, right? <laughs> like, so there's a lot of kind of like, that's kind of woven into um, the episode just that kind of captures that feeling that like was in a lot of 1970s films. It was also just like reflecting the times. Um, and I also was just thinking like this show, you know, and you can say, okay, it's because they were filming in Toronto and, you know, that looks most like New York City. But this show actually ends up being sort of a series containing like a series of portraits of New York City in mm -hmm. different eras. And I was trying to, trying to think through, like, you've got the 40s, we got the 60s, right, before they go to East Berlin, the 70s, the 80s, 2016, our present, all the way through showing us a lot of really, like, 
uh, kind of arresting images of New York City in 2163, mm-hmm. where you have like the Flatiron building and all these abandoned cabs, right? Like, and it's all like this like post post apocalyptic <laughs> landscape, right? So I, I think it's just, it's kind of great. Like you get all of these different portraits in New York City. And I never kind of like stopped to appreciate that. So Fear City, 1975. Um, I dug in. If people are kind of interested in more detail, there's a great article called Welcome to Fear City, the Inside Story of New York's Civil War um, that's in The Guardian, the Guardian website. And it's funny because my parents lived in New York City during this era. They like they lived in Queens. My dad was working in the Bronx. My mom was working in Manhattan. They had like three boroughs covered in 1975. When I called them to, like, talk about it and be like, okay, tell me everything about Fierce City. They were like, uh, what is that? They had no idea what I was talking about. Well, did they not hang out in Times Square and and, uh, Alphabet City very often? Like, that was... Well, no, so they they had a general, like, oh, yeah, the city was bankrupt. (laughs) Like, I mean, they had, like, a general, like... Uh, Mayor Lindsay screwed things up, but they, but they didn't like, they were like, what are you talking? Like, so, I mean, the thing is, the, there was a huge financial crisis. The mayor had basically proposed laying off 10,000 policemen and firemen. And to combat that, the policemen and firemen formed the Council for Public Safety, which was basically a negative PR campaign where they created these pamphlets with the death mask, which was the drawing that Jennifer did as a child back that we saw in her room in the last episode, which I actually kind of wondered, is that a sh- is it kind of a parallel to that with Kyle Slade creating that death mask out of the flesh? Uh, that but was nasty. It's I'm just, so, I mean, clearly, but I'm saying it anyway. It was so gross. <laughs> but they would, plain-clothed police officers and firemen would stand at, like, JFK LaGuardia and hand these pamphlets that basically said shit like, don't walk around New York City at all after six o'clock at night. And, like... Total scare tactics to any tourists, like, getting off of a plane. Still a pretty good rule, though. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not. Like, I mean, so even, um, like, it's funny because the Guardian article described it. There was one line that kind of stuck up, stuck out to me was, the pamphlet read like one more piece of dystopia porn, then filling American cinemas. These were the years of Taxi Driver, The French Connection, Marathon Man, Escape from New York, um, Death Wish and the Warriors, to name a few. So it's kind of like things were bad. Like violent crime was definitely up. Um, I think the article says like burglary robberies had had increased tenfold. Um, rapes and car thefts, burglaries more than tripled. Um, the murder rate would have more than doubled from the past decade. So things were not great. But this pamphlet made it seem even worse. And then, like, New York had to then go on, like, a PR campaign, even in Europe, to get people to, like, come back to the city. I didn't know any of this. Well, it's, like, it, it's kind of like the, like, almost like a pre-Streisand effect, in a way, of, like, where y- y- New York obviously didn't want this to get out. And so these guys sort of ended up spreading it anyway. And, like... Then it just became this, like, cultural sort of idea that New York was a sketchy fucking place. And, like, obviously word of mouth and stuff like that, you know. And, like, even when I went to, went to school up there in 2001, um, which admittedly, first week of school, some rough stuff did happen in New York, though, um, you know, so it goes. Um, 
but you know that that even then you know it was oh you're moving up to new york or whatever like that still that effect still ta- like happens even now even though if you go up there it's so sterile like compared to probably what it was oh my gosh even like I don't remember. I was born in 77 and we were still – my parents were still living in the city. And so I don't obviously remember. But I do remember like later when we would drive in from Connecticut in the 80s, the like, okay, we're going to dinner in Chinatown. Let's put the club on the car and lock the car. Basically, I remember just as a kid being like, how many different ways can you lock a car? <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, But it just felt – there was trash everywhere. It's not the like – sterilized version of New York City depends on the part you go to yeah but that like if you're a tourist and going it felt a lot even as a kid I realized that it felt differently but so things were not great these pamphlets were basically a PR campaign to make it seem even worse as kind of like to put pressure on the mayor and some people were even like is this a threat Right? Like, you lay 10,000 people off, it's going to get even worse. Yeah. So that's sort of like, because I just wanted to frame that because this isn't just like a generic New York City in the 70s. This is like a summer where there was paranoia, either in part based in fact, but also as part of a negative PR campaign about crime. Our plot is a serial killer. Um, I think you guys are more into serial killers than I am. What the 19- fuck is that supposed to mean? <laughs> I'm meaning you watch more things with serial killers, not that you like serial killers. <laughs> um, but you know, you know all the fan mail that we read. <laughs> like we said, never meet your heroes; they will shoot you in the face. That's what like I'm saying. <laughs> exactly. Okay, you brought that background. Um, but this is also like the 1970s was kind of the maybe the first era. I mean, I can think of like maybe Lizzie Borden, but this was like the first era of like Son of Sam, the Zodiac Killer, the Alphabet Murders, the Hillside Strangler. Like it's like this decade of like- Some quality killings. Right? Like it's like a household name. But they Um, also had like good names too. Like Zodiac Killer, like that is a good name. The Like (laughs) the Immortal, that is a good name. You know, today it's just meh. (laughs) <laughs> meh, MAGA bomber, meh. <laughs> well, it's Son of Sam is in New York City the following summer. See? Um, yeah. So there's a lot of real world, um, like, very specific to this year, this summer in New York City that I'm just kind of impressed that, like, they went to that length right like it's not a generic portrait of like a, a random city in the no summer. but i'm also not surprised that they did like that's what this show does is it's like we're gonna fucking time travel and we're gonna do a good job right now one of you guys listens wait beep, do you do you listen to like a serial and some of those podcasts that kind of like delve into crime like true crime stories uh i don't i don't love the ones that do actual reporting because i just uh, i get bored i know that's <laughs> terrible i know that serial and criminal and all that like people love them and they're fantastic and they are well researched but i listen to my favorite murder because it's comedy and that's i mean <laughs> i want dead funnies yeah <laughs> so i get my serial killers with a side of snark <laughs> well i didn't know if you guys had because i was just wondering if you had any thoughts like kyle slade is someone who clearly wants to be the hero 
of the narrative, right? Like, if Jennifer is somebody who is struggling to find her purpose and doesn't realize how important she is to the big picture until, like, Ethan basically, like, hits her over the head with it, right, at the end of season three, Kyle Slade is the opposite, Like, he's a legend in his own mind, and he is the one that's, like, going to bring the witness to James Cole, and then he and James Cole are going to, like, ride into the future sunset. (laughs) I am am shocked that a generic white dude is suddenly the center of the whole fucking universe in his own mind. Shocked. (laughs) But I I didn't know if you guys kind of, like, delved more into, like some of the stuff that profiles serial killers and had any thoughts about that. But if you don't, we can um, move on. I mean, I, I'll say that it, it reminds me a bit, like, in kind of, like, what we saw and, like, sort of Cole's reaction. It This whole little sequence with Cole and Ramsey and and um, the immortal Slade reminded me, actually, of uh, Mindhunter. It kind of reminded me of that because there's there's these two two characters, and one of them is a much younger guy, and he sort of almost gets in too deep with how he sort of like becomes obsessed with learning about these serial killers and sort of like has this moment of epiphany of like, oh, fuck, I have I have like not kept myself sort of uh, detached, detached. And sort of I, I like that we sort of had that moment with Cole in a way of like first he was drinking this dude's Kool-Aid being like, yeah, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. You have the witness show him to me. And then he was like oh, no, you are a crazy person, and I have followed you into your kill lair. And, you know, I, it, it reminded me of that um, a bit. And I know that you'll never watch it, Cece, but Mindhunter is is an excellent show. Yeah, this dude's, like, two seconds away from starting a cult. Like, Yeah. That's mm-hmm. what he is, like, that crazy cult leader of, like, what is it? I, I do listen to this this one podcast called Zella, and she always, like, she spends every episode talking about a cult. And she has these, like, funny songs that she inserts into <laughs> these things. And, like, one of the songs before they discuss, like, the the prominent leader is, like, this thing that sings, like, does anyone think they're Jesus? And it's like, I mean, yeah, this guy, like, you know, like, who in here has the savior complex and thinks that they're, like, they are the key to the entire world. So Kyle Slade is the Jesus in his own new cult. That, yeah, no, that tracks. Right, while he's with... The actual time, Jesus. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, all right. So 1975 opens up in a diner and we have our recurring segment, Cole enjoying new food and drink. We've got both new food and new drink. Pancakes. Fucking pancakes. Oh, my God. They never had pancakes. I mean, of course they didn't. But, well, I mean, oh. they did, though. What? It's It's kind of weird to me sometimes how... Like, Whatever, Cole as a kid never had fucking yeah, pancakes. Yeah, I mean, they were, yeah, exactly. Isn't that, like, the one thing dads make? <laughs> oh, my God, my dad totally did used to make pancakes. Like, yeah, that yeah. was that was his thing. He made cornmeal pancakes. That was a special, like, if dad was making pancakes, it was cornmeal pancakes oh, with my maple dad syrup. Made, my dad made mine in the shape of my name. Your dad loved you more than mine did. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. We can move along. <laughs> Even now, like, that's what, that's what my husband, like, that's his thing. He makes pancakes on Saturday. I know, poor Cole. I guess Matthew Cole didn't make pancakes. I'm sure he did. I mean, he would have, like, forgotten all those experiences by now, or it's been, you know, three decades. Or or that's actually even worse. What if you hadn't had pancakes since you were a kid, and then you had to wait 30 years to ever have pancakes again? It's like that's the opposite atrocious. of it's yeah. the opposite of the red forest. Like, you might as well just never have pancakes. Like, <laughs> you'd be so much better off. Oh, it's horrible to not know what that heaven is like. 
Right. I know. Um, all right. And then we also have him drinking tab and commenting how good it is. Did you guys ever drink tab? No. I don't think so. I, is that, I think is it would have like, been expired um, by the time I was around. What was the name? Fresca? Is that like similar? No. No. Then tab? No, I've never had no it's tab. just a brand, right? Or like an off brand. It's just like Coke, but right? I can't. Like, I, actually I thought it was dr- clear. N- no. No? What the fuck am I thinking of? Um, Tab was. I thought it was just like a store brand. No, it was. No, no. It was a brand. I don't think so. It was a brand like Coke and Pepsi. I just remember it. Maybe I'm not. Like, I remember drinking as a kid, and now I'm trying to describe it. If it's like. It was a Diet Cola made by by Coca-Cola. And it was Coke's Coke's first diet drink. So it was Coke. Okay. Yeah. Oh, my God. And Cole thinks that only a dude from a post-apocalypse thinks that a diet soda is good. Ew. (laughs) (laughs) That tracks. (laughs) That tracks. I love the detail that we saw that tab can. In the second episode of the season, when Cole and Jennifer walked into 607, and it was on the mantelpiece. And it's so, so, like, he yeah, he's drinking the tab. He likes it so much, he apparently carries it with, like, by some later, or, like, carried it with him out of the diner, because he's going to casually, like, it's so subtle, but you, they will show us, like, in the background while they're talking to the waitress, Cole putting it on the mantelpiece um, to, like, close the loop on how did the tab can get into 607 that you saw in 202. Um, Like, the set department, like, whoever did all that and did the continuity, like, they are the real MVP of this show. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. It's just like objects or like a hole in the wall, right? It's just, yeah. Um, Joe, do you want to lead us through your thoughts about Victoria and her um, banter with Ramsey? Um, that the waitress needs to keep it in her fucking pants. That's like, that's my note. Um, like, not to, like, that was kind of. <clears throat> so I'm having a hard time being as sympathetic as I should be towards her. Like, maybe I'm feeling a little Ramsey about it, being like, you've got a kid. Here's some rando dude that you're trying to flirt with. Like, get your life together first. Are you like, sl- are you slut-shaming No, I'm her? not slut-shaming her, but she could do better than Ramsey. Um, maybe she's just into Jersey Boys. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she said. I, so... Uh, <sighs> I did, like, it, it was kind of moments like these, like these sort of hokey humor that I didn't that really didn't track with me very much in this episode. Um, I think I prefer the slightly more absurdist that they lean into with Jennifer. Um, but yeah, it was just kind of like, were people do people flirt that hard? Have I never been flirted with that hard? Like, maybe it's normal? Like, I don't know, maybe I just don't like it. Because like, no one ever comes at me like that. Like, I'm <laughs> what? But like, she was like, throwing her vagina at him. <laughs> Like while her friend eats pan- like while his friend eats pancakes. Like was the expectation that like friend was gonna come along? Like is Cole like just gonna like take his pancakes to go and like sit outside the hotel room? Like I just I wondered like what her thought process was. Cole probably would. <laughs> I know. He loves he'd pancakes. Be, he'd be outside in the hallway of six oh seven eating his pancakes. Wow. Yeah. I know. I mean, his face is great. His face is basically like, are you fucking kidding me? Yes. <laughs> like, as they're going back and forth. The I loved l- how much he was freaking out over the coffee. Like, he really thought Ramsey meant it was something else. You know, he's like, that wasn't coffee. And he's like, what do you mean? Go- what was it? Like, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> what have I been drinking? I know. It's moments like that where it's like such a big brother, little brother. Right? Like, dynamic. Um, but they're... 
resulting from the waitress not being able to keep it in her pants are some <laughs> epically ironic lines <laughs> where Cole says to Ramsey, you're about to father a child and change the course of history, which <laughs> nervous laughter. <laughs> it's true for Ramsey, but oh, Fucking oh my fucking god! Like when you t- think about like the last like frame of this season of everybody chanting mother, like oh my god, um, and then just kind of like the ribbing back and forth of let's not get involved with the locals. Oh, you're the authority. Like there's just there is some great like ribbing that results from it. Um, I love I love that like when her kid walks in, the writers were basically like. What moral dilemma could fuck with both Ramsey and Cole equally, but in different ways? Because both of them are looking over at that and thinking about the scenario. And for Ramsey, he's putting himself in Victoria's shoes, right? Like, oh, my God, this is a mother who's going to leave her son behind, Mm -hmm. like, motherless. Cole is looking at them, the son that never had a mother and who lost his father violently. And he's thinking about that kid. And it's like impacting them differently but it, it it pulls at something that's both their like personal experience which i have to kind of wonder then if that was kyle's like because he knows everything right like if he knew that that was going to be the thing because you know he said that he like tried that he wanted that he used the waitress to get cole to come to him and i wonder how much he sort of that decision was based on you know being able to pull at at cole's strings Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, well, I thought that's just because they hadn't found any other bodies. No, he he kills her and doesn't dismember her on purpose so that like, she's identifiable. Whole, that's this, what I'm saying. But yeah. I didn't think that it necessarily mattered who it was. Just the fact that like it had to be somebody that could be found. But what if? <laughs> it's a fun headcanon. Yeah. Um. The, I mean, the thing, the added moral wrinkle that all none of the characters are aware of until the very end when Kyle tells Cole is the only reason they think that they are bystanders. But the only reason why she's being killed was because Kyle wanted to get their attention. It's because of their mission, right? Like that's, what's fucked up about it that you don't realize until the end, right? This isn't just like a random serial killer who killed someone. He did it specifically to get their attention. And that's why they're there. Like this is another example of a mission. That's like, a mini loop within the bigger loop, right? Like the reason why they find him is because Kyle did this so that they could find him. Um, This one creates an actual like time paradox though, in the sense of like a time travel paradox, because when they save her, it deletes the reason that they were ever there to start with. Well, and time shifts their nosebleeds, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, If we could just go to the alley scene and kind of the difference that we were just to pick up what we were talking about before, the difference between debating something that's theoretical and then someone is being attacked right in front of you. Mm-hmm. And Joe, I just want to pick up, we mentioned it before, sort of the moral dilemma of like, what's the difference morally between oh God, actually killing someone and sitting there knowing it's going to happen and standing there and doing nothing like the bystander problem. I mean, so, so so there's the idea of, is there a difference? Is there a difference in letting someone die versus actively killing them? Because the end result is, is obviously the same, right? Like, there's a person right. who is dead. And is there a difference? 
is not doing anything and knowing that they're going to die the same thing as actually killing them. And so it's, it's something that we have yelled about on the podcast, uh, plenty. Um, and you know, maybe you can have Shaheen on here to actually explain it since I am usually entirely too fucked up to be able to like really grasp, uh, what he's saying, um, on our podcast. But yeah, it's, it's, and they, they do this, you know, perfectly because a, they know that this girl is going to die. Like they were set there knowing that she is going to die. And it's, do you let this thing that has already happened happen? Can you sit there and watch it happen? And, you know, obviously they can't. Obviously Cole feels like if he lets it happen, then it is the same as him doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I, I mean, do you guys think that there's a difference? Like, is is there a difference in, in between, you know, letting someone die and choosing to kill them? And this is this gets at the difference between intent. Is it, in, is it also get at the difference between intent and consequences? Um, because the consequence yeah, is the same. The consequence is the same, and so what is the like? I think what is it? Uh, having to do with uh, a- intentional and um and consequential uh morality of does it matter what you do? Um, is all that matters the the end result, or does it matter sort of what your intentions were with that? But to have to operate within sort of an ethical framework, uh, to 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 get a result, um, you know, in this case, is letting someone die who is already gonna die is that f is that morally wrong if 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 you're not changing anything that has already happened like i feel like this is a very like it, it there's a new layer to it but it only in happened these questions because, but it only happened because nobody was there to stop it but if they stop it then what else then then well what are the unintended consequences well, of right, that right. they had that good intention to save this girl right but what then what if her death then killed 50 other people Right, right. So that, I mean, so there's multiple wrinkles, right? Like there's one, there's the wrinkle to say they were already, she was already dead. So we can absolve ourselves of it, right? There's a different wrinkle that is measuring kind of like what Ramsey had to do before, right? This is actually like, it's a different test for Ramsey because he, but this is, do you save this one who's in front of you? Mm -hmm. And then consequences for the many, the billions that you're trying to save, right? Like, by continuing to fuck up causality, are you putting the entire mission, which is, like, literally to save the world, (laughs) (laughs) at risk, at risk, right? So, like, right, it's not even about the 7 billion people anymore. It's now, like, you're trying to save the universe, (laughs) right? So, like, so that's, like, an added layer to it. But, like, I don't know, like, I... Yeah, I, I do think it's wrong to stand there and let her die. I mean, the same way that, like, when you study that, um, what was that thing that happened? Uh, was it in, I can't remember, with Manhattan or the Bronx? It's like always this, that, it's like the subject of that sociology study where the woman was being attacked and all these people were in their apartment and nobody called the police or did anything and she died. Like Jesus. the bystander problem. Did oh, you guys ever study that? The bystander effect, where you always yeah. think that someone else is going to take care of it and then no mm-hmm. one fucking does. Um, right. And you study that because there's something inside that feels like that is wrong, that nobody did anything to help. It's not the same. Those people standing, sitting in the building, it's not this, they, they don't, like, we recognize it's not the same as the, uh, like, assailant that actually attacked and killed that woman. But it still doesn't feel right that people just stood by, heard someone being attacked, and did nothing. But that's whether or not you you 
suppose that people have a duty to one another. And that's that's another thing that, you know, that that we bring up on the podcast a lot is, you know, does a person even have a duty to do that? Like, how far outside of yourself does your moral obligation extend? Right. And, and, wh- and where does that end? Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of um, the things I find particularly interesting about her is how the show kind of goes out of its way to make her like almost neutral and then more and less worthy of being saved. And what I mean by that is when they first go back, it's just this woman, right? Mm -hmm. It's a woman. And then when they're in the diner, they see the kid. So now all of a sudden she's worth more because of the child. And then they see that she's a drug addict and she's worth less. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how do these things affect like what a human being is actually worth? Which I just found interesting that they kind of keep tipping the scales with her over yeah. over their reasoning for why she should or should not be saved. And because should those things even matter? Like, right, should right. that even matter when we're talking about a human life? Exactly. Well, I think there's one question. Should it matter? There's also, like, a recognition that they it does matter because we make these decisions in part because of emotion. Like, what feels good, what feels bad, right? Like, and – it feels bad knowing that she's an innocent woman and you could do something to stop it. It feels worse when you see that it's going to leave a child behind without a mother. You feel a little less bad, right? Because of like, I, I mean, I I guess like she's doing cocaine. I, th- I thought Ramsey was actually kind of, you know, it's not good to do cocaine when you're a mom. <laughs> but like, I don't know, man, little- maybe her kids like kind of like super hyperactive and she's just trying to keep up. Like, I don't know her struggle. Maybe it was just wine in the 70s in New York City. I don't right? know. Whatever. What are you going to do? So, anyway, but yeah, Beep, that's a really good point. They play with all kinds of, like, it's almost like while they ratchet up the emotional, like, okay, you were in a room and it was theoretical. Now she's in front of you. You know someone's going to be left behind. And then after they save her, then it oh, that's kind of the apex of it. And then they kind of make make them feel like, like she, she, she doesn't even say thank you. Right? Like, she's fucking drug addict waitresses in the (laughs) 70s, man. Like, what are you going to do? Yeah. But I mean, the whole thing is just a really interesting study in how we make, how human beings make those moral decisions and what are the factors that influence where we come out. Right? And like, would they have, does, like, how much does gender take into it? Like, if that had been, you know, some dude, some short order cook or whatever. you know, and we had taken away the kid, for example, would they have let him die? Like, at what point, like, what was, is it just that it was a human being in front of them? It was, it, was it because a woman? Was it because it was a mom? You know, like, what, what was the magic formula that got them to sort of disobey Jones? Right, because they're gonna, I mean, and sort of the con- contrasting example is, understandably, but they're going to decide to actively take Kyle Slade's life. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, creepy dude. Creepy dude, and it's killing other people, but they're – so you have all of these, like, different moral decisions that Cole and Ramsey are making, or Cole's making, actually. Like, Ramsey's kind of a bystander, ultimately, in either saving her or killing Kyle at the end. Um, but, yeah, so, yeah, I just I will say was- one, one, like, tally in Ramsey's corner, for whatever reason he's doing it, whether it's because of the decision or the conversation with Sam or whatever, he is staying – very true to what he's always done in what he did throughout, you know, his time with the monkeys, which is let it play out the way it played out. He had no intention of getting involved like either way. So that takes us to Cole and Ramsey and the cops. 
Um, I love this guest star um, who plays Detective D'Amato. Um, David Mar- uh, David Marciano. He was in The Shield. He was in Homeland. Do you guys remember him in Homeland? I have blocked Homeland from my mind. Um, Never seen it. We, like, I think we stopped, like, halfway through season three, maybe, and we're like, all right, I, I, I can't, I can't with this anymore. Um, yeah, I think that's where we... The weird thing is, apparently Homeland got really good again, um, but I, I refuse to go back. Um, but he, he definitely just looks like a cop. <laughs> yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, he, like, of course, of course he's Detective D'Amato. Like, of course, obviously, who else would he be? right um it's pretty it's pretty slick what um like like cole comes up with a pretty good plan here and i didn't even catch until maybe like the third time i watched the episode that his alias is the reporter from the article that he's using like basically say i'm gonna publish this tomorrow when it's actually something that was already published (laughs) well yeah like those cops not great detectives you're like wow this is an actual piece of newspaper (laughs) like (laughs) that looks yellow yeah like i'm not (laughs) no wonder you guys haven't caught him yet uh i love that they use ramsey's old well it's not as old alias he hasn't used it yet because he's gonna use it in like 2016 but the ethan secchi mm-hmm. um yeah that started in like 89 or 90 yeah when he first went back he was doing all the um well whatever yeah you're right yeah um it takes us all through the standoff um and cole again he he, he hasn't warmed up to like how how hard he calls so hard running into like the standoff to like basically trade with the woman who's being held at gunpoint. But when he steals the cop car, it's just like, Oh my God. Is that the most ridiculous thing Cole's ever done? I think it might be. It's up there. Like there's definitely like, it's, it's hard to pick Pete Cole, but like (laughs) stealing a cop car in the seventies is probably like it's top five. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god the, i also just like you forget what fucking boats cars were in the 70s huge like, how is he supposed to drive that i don't know it, i would fishtail everywhere <laughs> like it's ridiculous um there's some like this is going out to what you were saying like ramsey's skepticism his look this guy jerks Jerks off in his basement and hacks hacks off limbs, which is turns out is dead deadly accurate. Well, at <laughs> like, least the hacking off limbs part. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, of all things, like, couldn't this dude have also made it weirdly sexual? Like, you're not completing the serial killer like trifecta here. <laughs> oh, it's the subtext. It's the subtext show. Um, on the other hand, if you're in Cole's shoes, his last two experiences, both with Jennifer and Room 607 and Tommy Crawford, knowing like what, like the saying, the mo- family motto that his father used to say to him and knowing things all about them. Like if you're in Cole's shoes, everything that's led up to this point sets Cole up to believe that Kyle Slade like knows what he's talking about. And like, in some ways he does. Like, we'll get to it. He he does know some things. He knows some important things about the Red Forest. He just has, like, if Jennifer ultimately has to put the puzzle together, Kyle has put the puzzle together incorrectly. That's a good that way makes, of putting yeah, it. Yeah, by hacking off certain pieces. <laughs> <laughs> he just makes them fit, okay? Exactly. You might have a couple parts left over. Whatever. <laughs> Still kind of a puzzle. Um, I do think, like, I mean... Their argument with Ramsey saying, 
I have a kid. Really? I haven't heard that before. It kind of, like, it kind of rang true to me, like, those are the kinds of fights that friends get into, like, even though you have forgiven each other and you've moved on, when you have these, like, arguments that are in frustration, like, these old things come up, right? Like, it pisses Ramsey off that Cole is always, quote, like, all leap, no look. Um, And the old Cole being like, it's not about your kid. This was always my mission, not yours. Like, these are old fault lines that, like, go back to season one. And when you put them in a pressure cooker, as good of friends as they are, these things come back up to the surface. Well, and if Ramsey could fucking shut the fuck up about his kid, then, you know, maybe we wouldn't (laughs) keep getting into this. Well, also, when you factor in time travel, everything old is new again. Because none of that stuff's actually happened yet on the... (laughs) In the timeline. (laughs) Right. Um, That's what makes... uh, Whenever you say stuff like that, it makes my brain hurt. Yes. Um, You know, we've got the Ramsey and the messenger fight. The whole, like... I love how the messenger has just picked a very different 1970s aesthetic. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, no, like, Kyle put that mask on him, right? No, 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 not that one. Oh. I mean the one that always, every time he shows up, it reminds me. Oh, tactical turtleneck? Oh, my God, it reminds me. It's the wrong decade, but it totally reminds me of um, the Saturday Night Live, like, Sprockets. (laughs) This is time in Sprockets when we dance with, with his, like, purple, I mean, his black, like, turtleneck and black pants. Like, it's just a very specific 1970s look. I figured he was on his way to a key party. Like, that just struck me as, like, the ice storm or something, and everyone was in, like, turtlenecks trying to be sexy and, like, listen to (laughs) records and eat jello molds. When he's done here, he's going to catch the train to New Canaan. Yeah. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> um, I thought, like, I mean, we get the answer to the, like, there's a neat piece that ties together the 2016 and 1975 plots because we're going to get an explanation for the hole in the wall that Jennifer and Cassie see in 2016 with, with Ram- or the messenger punches through the wall when he's fighting with Ramsey. Um, the, like, you, like, uh, Joe's going to totally roll her eyes at this, but the line, take care of your boy, your life isn't about you anymore, is, like, totally true as oh, a parent. I agree Absolutely. with it. Absolutely true. Um, that's like if you could distill it down to like that essence. That's well, and I think that that's that's something that I think a lot of perhaps less than stellar parents don't subscribe to, which is kind of a problem. Um, I'm not I'm not against like his philosophy of that. I just you know, my boy, <laughs> just I can't. It's not when it's like seven other billion, seven billion other lines on the line. Yeah. Um. So let's dig into creepy Kyle. Fucking Kyle Slade's den of creepy. What a name, though, Kyle Slade. Like, is that a porn star? <laughs> <laughs> like, how do you come up with that name? Oh my god! Like, Have we <laughs> Kyle is one thing. Like, fine, Kyle Thompson, fine, or like. Jacob Slade, also fine, but Kyle and Slade together, like... Oh, my God. <laughs> it does sound like a porn name. I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, um, he paints... So, as B pointed out, like, he paints the demon... Uh, like, he hacks up body parts, drains them for blood, and then paints in the blood. Like, what the fuck? Listen, <laughs> CC. Crafting heels. <laughs> <laughs> so wrong. 
let's save his what he tells the audience about and Cole about the Red Forest at the end, because when we're talking about the witness talking to Cassie, because the way it's edited and the way it's framed, mm-hmm. it's almost like a debate back and forth, right? Yep, sure. Um, but if we could just go, so he has been, he claims that he has been killing primaries, that that's what he was, that that's what he did in Vietnam. And then that's what he's also been doing. Those are the 11 previous victims were all primaries. Like, do you guys take that at face value? Or do you think that's also part of his crazy? I think that maybe he killed a primary. <laughs> um, and then convinced himself that other people, because like, the, I do not think that there was like a conclave of primaries in <laughs> Vietnam in the jungle. I mean, I could be wrong. I could be absolutely wrong about that. But if that's the case, then presumably um, they would have sent back, the witness would have sent back people to kill this conclave of of primaries and so like maybe there was one of them there maybe there were none of them there there's like a whole episode that's like apocalypse now with messengers attacking primaries (laughs) that we never got (laughs) they're they're going down on that boat it was it was marlon brando the whole time like it's fine right it does seem like there's an abundance of them though i mean because they sent like 12 people back in pairs to six different times just to get six of them so it seems like you know if you're just like collecting them on the street i don't know why they went to all that trouble yeah right like if there's like a group of them like at least be more efficient like back in what season four when they went to the medieval primaries who had doused themselves in oil like there were just a bunch of them there there's also a lot in fucking the state of new york (laughs) if you think about it like through the decades right uh yeah maybe primaries (laughs) got a good rate at the emerson i don't know (laughs) so there's obviously there's like two levels like kyle slade has, as we were saying before, he p- he's put the puzzle together incorrectly. He's getting a lot of things wrong. He also says a lot of things now that are wrong in the moment, but are some of them are correct and some of them actually he didn't mean them this way, but they actually proved to be true <laughs> now that we know the whole story. So he says the witness is a traveler just like you. True. <laughs> we'll think we'll think it's like a we'll think it's Ethan. It's really Olivia. Aurelia. Olivia is a so, gin just like Cole. I need to like rewatch more of when we see the witness in the bunker in the future because like looking back, I'm like, Olivia's tall as fuck. Like, why did we ever think it was Ethan? Like, dude is kind of short. Like, do we see <laughs> like I kind of really need to rewatch to see if we can get like a height. On played that. by somebody else entirely. <laughs> yeah, like, well, because it makes me wonder, like, I'm like, okay, so if, like, just pay attention, see how tall they were, and be like, oh, well, obviously it's not Ethan, he's short. <laughs> <laughs> um, he says, the witness has technology beyond yours. Also true. Also true. Right? Witness, split. I mean, they've got Titans, splinter suits, the witness can travel. Like, what's fascinating now with all, like, this moment, this episode in particular that we'll get to is... We now know how Olivia is traveling into people's heads, right? Like, we can now picture her sitting in Titan using that machinery and using Titan to do what she's doing, even in this episode. Um, then also, like, sort of the time needs you to do it. It has to be you. It's your fate to do this. All of that is true of Cole, just not sticking a bone in a random messenger, like, in this moment. Um, Talk about a porn star, right? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) 
Um, and then... <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. It's your brand, man. Um, and then you have the you're, you're not worthy, which he says to Cole, which I think kind of gets at one of Cole's biggest like inner struggles, right? Is that he's not worthy, he's not a good man. That's kind of like what this whole journey is about. Um... And then it's kind of interesting, particularly when you think about the greater debate about the Red Forest that's going on in this episode, when Cole points the gun at him and says, everybody dies, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's true, <laughs> unless <laughs> unless you're going to make a very different choice, like at the end of the series. Did you guys have anything else sort of like... Other than, like, Ramsey is Ramseying by coming in and saving Cole, and Cole is calling so hard he blows shit up. <laughs> it's kind of like they're very much in their normal mode of how they go about doing things um, in this episode. Did you guys have anything else sort of about the whole wrapping up the Kyle Slade story? He's just, is he not just so, like, average and boring? Kyle Slade? Yeah. In the way that, like, I mean, the other primaries are, like, fascinating, and he's just, like, a tool. You're like, oh, wow, so you're just some crazy person killing you people. kill Me. people, huh? Well, that's... That's, that's your thing? <laughs> All right. Like, I mean, I guess he, like, kind you of crafted you, that weird mask, I guess, but, like, mm, like... Well, I thought... I thought that... I thought the actor actually, like... Did you guys... When you guys first watched this episode... Oh, he's got great crazy eyes. It's not like he bored me. It's just, like, you know, in in the context of, like, all these other primaries are, like, fascinating. And you're just like, oh, okay, well... Basic bitch serial killer. You have neat ideas. (laughs) (laughs) He gets the primary participation. (laughs) (laughs) Like, all... Like, the the witness is like, no, you're... I love all of my, you know... just the same. Is the same. <laughs> I love you guys all the same, even though oh, Kyle. Well, there's something that is like he pulls off this like you know there's there's a part of this episode where on first watch, just like Cole, I bought that he knew what he was talking about. Right. Because, I mean, the episode, the previous episode set you up to think that because Jennifer and Tommy did know what they were talking about. Yeah. And when he is talking to Cole and being like, no, man, like we're in a war and I, you know, like I was a soldier and I was killing primaries. You're like, oh, well, maybe maybe this is all kind of one of those things like the pat, like the past newspaper, the way they write him up is because they don't understand what he was doing. Then you start walking through his lair and you're like, oh, <laughs> oh my God. Right. So, but I, you know, he, can't you just see him being like, sorry, I didn't clean up before you came over. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what is, like <laughs> literally legs and arms hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> Like, that's the thing, though. Is what that, you've done with the place. Oh, God. <laughs> like, if he hadn't been necessarily... Dis- like, what if he had just straight up been killing primaries? Like, if he hadn't been, like, playing with his food and he had just, like, been murdering them and, like, whatever, and, like, that was his thing, like, suddenly we'd be, like, way more on his side, but suddenly oh, because yeah, totally. he's, like, finger-painting with blood, and you're like, well, you are not <laughs> trustworthy. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, he was basically executing what Deacon proposed, which was, why don't we gather up all these primaries and take them off the board? Yeah, I mean, right? and he's not the only one who said that. Even Cassie was going to kill Jennifer. Like, yeah, I mean, she, like, it's know, reasonable. She wasn't going to, but it makes perfect sense. So what we're saying is the dead person. he lacked credibility. You know, he, like, hacked people's bodies. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, credibility. <laughs> um, he is a really, I mean, and maybe this just goes to, like, 
I don't listen to like a ton of like serial killer stuff as we've established, but like there's something about how pathetic he is that he's living in this like story that he's made up where he is like, you know, James Cole and I are going to ride off into the sunset together and we're we're the ones together that are going to like take down the witness and only I was smart enough to like capture the witness, right? That like um I don't know, like it's just a really It's like the imp- the opposite of imposter syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> yes, right, right. Exactly. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Yeah. And it's just like it's a really interesting contrast when you just see how little confidence Jennifer has. Like, as opposed to him. Well, well it's kind of the same outcome, though, in the sense that, like, he's just desperate for purpose. Someone mm-hmm. else had to give her hers. You know, Olivia, like, manipulated her. And she was going to do the plague and all that stuff because she was just like, oh, my God. And same thing. Like, me and Cole are going to ride off in the sunset. But yeah. this guy's, like, making it up on his own because he can't stand the idea that he might just be, like, mediocre. Right. You're not even a good serial killer. <laughs> God. No, he's like he's like the Kylo Ren of movies. <laughs> he's <laughs> mediocre, mediocre dude trying to, like, make himself specialer than he is. Like, right, it's, right. It's a he's parable. <laughs> so um, I think that just, like, what closes out this plot is the Cole and Ramsey scene on the rooftop. And now, like, anytime they're on the roof, like, now you really, like... You want them to kiss? (laughs) Well, I was going to say, Cole and Ramsey, I think they kind of want to kiss in this episode, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, no, they definitely, like, played it off as, like, they they had a game of gay chicken up there. And, like, (laughs) nobody won, but we all lost. (laughs) I mean, I was just going to say, like, the two of them having these heart-to-hearts on the rooftop, um, it's kind of their thing. Um, and when I was re-watching with a friend kind of the episodes in season three leading up to Brothers, um, they have, a, like, one of those, the episode, um, the big Olivia one, Enemy. Before they head into that, like, final mission where Cole, before Cole has to kill him, they have them back up on that rooftop. Like, this is their thing, where they have, like, their heart-to-hearts. Um, I liked in the scene that, like, on this show, characters own shit when they fuck up and they say they're sorry. <laughs> right? Like, Cole is basically like, I did what I always do, and I'm sorry. Um, and he did, like... You understood the reasons why he did stuff, but, you know, how the episode opens up with him playing hide and seek is, like, how it all goes down. Like, and Ramsey having to come in and basically, like, clean it up over and over again. I feel like for as much as as much as much Ramsey wants to be a dad, like, deal with it. Cole's your kid, too. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, when Ram- What Ramsey says back to him is... Um, I used to think you were insane. It's something else. And he like points to his own heart and he says, one of these days is going to help us get out of this mess. And it's totally true, right? Like Cole, like not giving up, not giving up on people, not giving up on the mission, being willing to sacrifice himself, like particularly when you get into like season four, but Mm -hmm. even at the end of this season, going back to Titan, right? Like erasing his personal happiness to go back and go back in the mission and save them all at Titan. Like that kind of what Ramsey says is like a, a important, like it's a great friend moment, but it's also some like important foreshadowing of like how things will ultimately play out. Show is like full of spoilers and you don't know it. <laughs> right. Um, 
but then you've got the other one that's a doozy. And until then, someone's got to have your back. And you're like, oh, man, you're not going to have his back so many times <laughs> between now and ultimately when he has to shoot you, right? Like, he's going to betray him at the end of the like latter half of this season and then ultimately like their confrontation in Brothers. Um, do you guys have thoughts about men trying to express to each other that they love each other and finding it really difficult to do so. <laughs> I think I think was that that was your sentence. Like that was it. <laughs> yes, I, that is true. <laughs> I do like that they actually have this moment between two male friends though. Like I don't feel like we get male friends on TV telling each other they love each other a lot. Um not as much not as much as we should. Yeah. Yeah. So that takes us to 2016. Jennifer is the worst patient ever. But also hilarious and somewhat <laughs> accurate. Like, she's right. Yeah. You shouldn't take a nap when you're concussed. Well, but aren't you supposed to rest? Not be unconscious, though. Yeah. Like, Cassie? Not a, here's, here's the problem. Don't, don't have a virologist treat you for a concussion. There you go. <laughs> Number one. Here's the thing with, with TV doctors is they always try to make them, like, be able to do anything. Like, it's kind of it's, – it's like – as sorry, if they don't have a specialty. Yeah, like, I sorry to bring up, you know, TV show non grata or whatever, but, like, Dr. Abby on The 100, like, suddenly, like, being able to, like, formulate DNA and, like, make vaccines and night blood and stuff, and you're like, you're a fucking GP. <laughs> like, good on you for be able to, being to, able to do surgery and stuff, but I'm sure, like, space future, like, already cures cancer, so, like, let's just pump the brakes on, like, you being a genius. <laughs> I'm just saying. The thing that the thing that did like strike me as funny is like when 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 Cassie tucks Jennifer in, it reminds me of like all those mornings that my kids are like, I'm sick. And I'm like, okay, you can stay home from school, but you have to rest. And you like tuck them in and you think they're going to rest. And then they're like, just kidding. And like 30 <laughs> seconds later, they're ripping the covers off. Like it's one of those dynamics of like Jennifer is acting like a kid. <laughs> she doesn't. I mean, it's delightful about her. But like if you were Cassie, you'd be also really fucking annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of I like that. With this show, they do, they kind of give, it's, it's sort of rare to see two female cast members, like two female characters as like the comedy and the straight man. True. Yeah. You know, like it's not, it's not often. Um, and, you know, Cassie is definitely very much the, the straight one in this and like Jennifer is wacky and zany and it's just, it's a delightful little pairing. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's. It's also great that, like, they had this bonding experience in the last episode and went through a lot together and obviously are able to be vulnerable with each other. It still doesn't mean that the, that they don't annoy each other, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's not magically fixed just because they went on that, like, one road trip, right? So they still <laughs> annoy each other. I um, still hate you. <laughs> I hate you less, but I still hate you. <laughs> so – there's this 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 part of the episode. I mean, actually, this episode and the next one, Meltdown, are both heavy on the creepiness, right? Like, the mm -hmm. show's definitely playing with, like, between the serial killer and sort of the ghost possession. Um, there's a monster in the bunker, like, possession story that's in the next one. It's definitely, like, these two episodes are playing with that, those kind of, like, genres. And Jennifer talking about ghosts um, and saying 
like she's kind of setting it up to make us think that Aaron is a ghost, right? Like, but it's not going to be, or we're going to question whether or not he's real, but it's going to turn out to be not at all what we could possibly have imagined. Um, the one line that's a, that like, oof, is you got to open your mind before someone opens it for you. And you're just uh. like, oh, well, <laughs> like, oh man. Um, so the way they kind of set this up with kind of like rat- ratcheting up the tension with Cassie with the like ice machine, right? Like having the, ice like- machines always creepy. Whenever they show them in any movie or TV show, something bad is about to happen. Yeah, you generally just like shouldn't go out into a hotel, like a hotel hallway, <laughs> particularly as a woman alone and go to the ice machine, like right, like in the middle of the night. Especially Nothing if it's a creepy happen. hotel, like absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Um, Amateur gen- hour, Cassie. <laughs> Well, I love how they ratchet up the tension, though, right? Like, you've got the ice is coming out. You've got Cassie, like, beating the shit out of the machine. And then when she starts to be, like, creeped out that there's something going on, all the ice starts coming out, right? And it's, like, the sound, and you're watching it overflow, and it just makes you feel that, like, tension, right? Like, as an audience member. Yeah, but that's also just me and my fucking fridge. You either get no ice or you may have all of the ice. Like, that's just an ice machine. Also that. (laughs) Is that just me? Like, is no one else's fridge like this? um, It is like when my parents visit and like fill an entire glass with ice and then nobody gets ice. (laughs) (laughs) For like the next day and then it all comes out again. Yeah. Um, So we talked about like, we, we already touched on like, why does Olivia choose Aaron? When you first saw him, I think, Joe, you said you didn't know who the heck he was. Beep. Did you think it was really... Him, he was back, or did you? Th- uh, were you tipped off by like what Jennifer had said before, and you're like, nope, something's up with this. It's not really him. Uh, I definitely didn't think it was him because we already saw at the end of two hundred five when she was in the house of cedar and pine that the witness turned into him. Yeah. Okay. Um, Fine. <laughs> I was a little. I I think I was a little taken in by it um, because I didn't really know what those visions that Cassie was having m- meant, but. Yeah, well, they pulled one over on me. Well, I guess uh, if she th- legitimately thought he was the witness, then it could have been him. I don't know. Yeah, no, I didn't. I thought it was just weird. So we talked about why Olivia chooses him and whether it has to do with Olivia is not in her head yet. So she doesn't know quite where Cassie's feelings stand as terms of old boyfriend, future boyfriend, or is it because she's making an appeal to bring somebody back from the dead and Cassie feels a, a ton of guilt, which you even see sort of in how this scene unfolds for his death. Um, but what I think is, if we just step back before we delve into like this actual like substance of what they talk about, the way these scenes go back and forth between 1975 and 2016, you've got Kyle Slade saying the witness is there in 1975 and you think that's what they're heading toward. When really what's sneaking up on us in 2016 is the witnesses in the room with Cassie. And then you have this, like, it's interesting to watch these scenes with Cassie and the witness and then watch her final scene with um, Shaw, with with Christopher um, Lloyd at the end of After. Because even the dialogue is a little bit similar. It both takes place, like, 
There's both key pieces of these scenes that take place in the hallway of Emerson Hotel. And it's almost like this episode is the opening argument in favor of the Red Forest to Cassie. And she, you can see her throughout the conversation, and we'll get to how she describes it ultimately as it was even beautiful when she's talking to Jennifer. And then when you watch the scene at the end of After, where the whole scene turns red, and she says yes, it's like that's the closing argument. And everything that happens in between, right? Like, and I think it's particularly interesting that you've got the witness pitching the vision that the Red Forest is paradise to Cassie, while in the other timeline, you've got a primary reaffirming to Cole that it's hell on earth. And that is ultimately going to be the two people debating it at the very end of the series. Um, so it's just really like, who knows if they had any of that planned out, but now when you watch it, it's just kind of beautiful the way the structure is like a preview for what that ultimate like big decision is going to be. I mean, um, I kind of have to want like I can see how it can be beautiful to say Cassie, like for example, like if you if we accept that you get to like live in this perfect moment, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you also have the primaries who experience time in some ways like, uh, you know, sort of a version of the Red Forest, where they experience everything all at once, mm-hmm. um, like, all the time, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, to a degree. Like, obviously, like, it's not the exact same thing as the Red Forest. And so, you know, does that mean that their existence is, is hell? Or, like, why wouldn't we listen to them more when they say it is hell? Because you're like, well, actually, you do have some credibility in this. Like, that is kind of how you experience time. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, so let's take really quickly what Kyle says to Cole, because what Kyle is basically doing is reiterating everything that Jennifer told Jones. So we're getting like confirmation now from a second primary that the forest, he calls it the forest of blood because Kyle's super. Because he's a creepy dude. (laughs) Because he's got a blood boner. (laughs) Oh, oh my God. And a ton of credibility, as we have established. (laughs) (laughs) Um. It's, he says, it's hell on earth, it's living and dying in the same moment, and eternal now, no future, no present, forever red. And it kind of is like, old Jennifer, I think, even used that, no future, no present. Um, so then let's turn to, like, what Olivia says through Ghost Aaron, <laughs> and then, and then Cole. Um, she leads with, as, as Olivia always does, emotional, like, manipulation. So... Aaron's saying, I'm sorry, my last vision was of you. It's like everything that you would want to hear from somebody who you were angry at when they died, right? And like felt guilt over. Um, But that there's like now another way. Um, He presents this idea of I am not the enemy and neither are they. Um, And then he... The witness basically is like the only true enemy is time itself. And one line, like the Olivia is like a- appealing to her experience as a doctor and like references, like think about all the suffering you've witnessed, which now makes me think of that scene when Ethan goes to see her on the hospital in Thief. Do you guys remember like where she where she says time is a thief and it's after she's lost her first patient? Mm-hmm. I vaguely remember this. So it's kind of like this interesting idea that like, a doctor has a front row seat to like human suffering and death, right? Like it could put you in the position of accepting that that's a natural, that's just the natural 
process of who we are or could also set you up to be more angry about it than like the average person because you've had to confront it more than the average person. But then also maybe not too. Like you also have an understanding of it in, you know, this is a fact of how things go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I I thought that was like an interesting, like it's a, it's a, it's a tie that the show will come back to that maybe what makes Cassie vulnerable to this is who she is and her profession, right? Because the moment when Ethan finds her at her low point, when she calls time a thief, it's when she's lost her first patient as a doctor. Right. Um, then he explains. Toughen up though, Cassie. Like, <laughs> you're a doctor. People are going to die. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this was not the profession for her. <laughs> Said the daughter of a doctor. Well, yeah. <laughs> Stop gave, giving sedatives to uh, con- concussion patients. <laughs> shit wouldn't happen. Like, I kind of, maybe I should just rewatch the show, like, with my mom and be like, okay, so I need you to just point out every bad medical thing that has happened. <laughs> so is time the enemy or is Cassie the doctor? <laughs> Cassie's malpractice. <laughs> um, so the two lines, you know, he says the Red Forest is the only way to beat death. There are, there's, So Olivia in this moment says, a place where time no longer exists, where you can be with the one that you love forever. What could be more important than that? And if you watch that final scene in After with Shaw, he says to her, without time's will, it shackles. There is the after of the Red Forest where one never has to choose anything over the ones they love. Doesn't that sound right to you? So, like, it's almost like Olivia's, like, it's like the opening argument. And then, like, as an excellent advocate, you return right back to your theme <laughs> for your closing argument. And, like, it's getting at very similar thoughts and even, like, expressing it um, in the same way. And this is the first time, this is the first episode where we see the thing with the witness turning the eyes black, right? But that's, like... Oh, well, I can't. Oh, I can't give you Buffy spoilers. Never mind. Moving along. <laughs> <laughs> but this is like we're gonna see her. Like we're gonna see Olivia like maximize this, right? Like in season four, like particularly like in one minute more, where they're like battling all these people that she's like taking over. Um, it's definitely creepy. Yeah. Then Olivia then shifts. Like she's the master manipulator, right? So she realizes, up, oh, this isn't working. I got to shift to Cole. And that is now you're like, oh, my God, like, this is the person she's ultimately going to decide this question over, right? Like, it just has, like, a lot. This whole scene, like, at first, it was kind of interesting because you're like, huh, we're hearing, like, a different perspective on the bad guys and what the Red Forest is kind of, like, side by side. But now it's a little disconcerting (laughs) when you think about, like, either it's just – amazing setting up what is going to be her character's ultimate temptation and then triumph over that temptation or it's foreshadowing that Cassie's the true witness. I mean, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Is Joe, is this one of these scenes where you're like on rewatch, it makes you more unsure? Yeah. Like, cause you know, she has this moment of being like, Oh, well, you know, crazy, crazy ghost Aaron. It's making a lot of sense. And Eventually, you know, the fact I, I think it is super interesting that that I forget that theoretically this or not theory, it is it's Olivia right now. And like, I don't think that I really even on a rewatch of this um, for this podcast, like that I really like made that connection because, you know, like she's not 
she, we don't even see her because mm-hmm. we don't know who the witness is, you know, yet. But the fact that it's Olivia and then kind of switching over to Cole for that, knowing that like that's sort of it. It's funny because it's kind of like, you know, being like, oh, you have a crush on this person or whatever, like and teasing them about it. Except, no, actually, you've had this whole life with this person and I know about it. Yeah, right. Like, like that Olivia knows that. I mean, this, like, Olivia doesn't know that, obviously, because Olivia dies before Cassie is faced with that final choice. And I don't think Olivia fully realizes that Cole has to be erased, right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much she knows about that aspect of it. Yeah, but she does know everything. That they have a child together, right? Like, all all of this. So... You know, I, I guess I, when you were like, I, I guess I like chalk it up to like Olivia, like misjudged what was going to be persuasive, even if you could understand why she first picked Aaron, right? Like at this point in time. Um, but well, yeah. Olivia doesn't understand people to also a large that. degree. Like she, it's weird. Like she understands people like mechanically, but not, she, uh, I don't even know how to say it. Cause like obviously she's an amazing manipulator, but she, she has no, like, empathy whatsoever, and I think that's where she actually loses a lot of her, like, her, a lot of her plans go awry. Right. She doesn't understand love. Right. She's never had it in her life. So she knows how to exploit weakness and how to tell people what they want to hear, but what she constantly, like, miscalculates over is, like, other human beings' love for one another. Right? Like... Right? Like, being like, hey, look, it's Aaron, and, and, and Cassie's like, Who? um yeah but yeah it is really interesting to go back and watch this scene now that we know that that's olivia sitting there and thinking about everything that olivia knows which is Um, everything which is everything except except how to love oh yeah except jones (laughs) we'll get back to that but yeah and but there's also there's just like great like you know Kyle Slade highlighted for us, there's things that the witness, the te- technologically, that, that, that he can do that you're not even aware of. And we're like, holy shit, it's, it can take over people's minds. It can make people see things even after they've had the tea, right? Like, all of this is going on, and Cassie's actually, like, wandering around the hotel. Yeah. <laughs> She's in the middle <laughs> of the lobby. Um, and so you have that kind of, like, jump scare moment, and it turns out that the hand on her shoulder is Jennifer. Surprise. Um, Concussion yeah. Jennifer and her gym jams. <laughs> she comes up with a great cover that, like, Cassie's the birthday girl and has been drinking too much. No, Jennifer is fucking quick. That's the thing. Like, Jennifer's MVP all day. Yeah. Um, and so she has her, like, Joe, you got to do it because it, you you always have a 90s movie reference. Oh, I've made, podcast. like, 30 already. But uh, I was going to take notes on this in the run sheet and you'd already called it out for me. But uh, the the Nell, the Nell reference, uh, which, which is actually great, except um, in that Nell, in the scene that I think that Jennifer is trying to reference is when Nell goes to um, a, like a bar and kind of like loses her way and then kind of lifts her shirt up over her head and spins around, which we did not get that from Cassie. Um, but, you know, again, Terry's welcome to slide in my DMs with any cut scenes. <laughs> Um, Damn sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I loved I, it. Seemed like such like a like I had to rewind and, and turn it up because I was like, did she just make a Nell reference? <laughs> Is Jennifer my new favorite person? And she was. 
Um, you, will you do your Nell impression? I don't have it. Oh my god, it's literally just saying Tay in a win. Like, no, that's it. I'm not, not gonna, like, like, do the voice. Oh, man. I know. Um, so that takes us back to, it's really, like, I love that the last episode and this episode, it is Jennifer, Cassie taking care of Jennifer, and Jennifer taking care of Cassie. Mm-hmm. And Cassie is probably the most shaken up for sure, the most shaken up and vulnerable that we have seen her through all of, like, for this Cassie that opened up this season on a rooftop, like, holding two guns at people, to be at a point where she's in tears and saying, I don't know what kind of fight I have in me, is is bad, right? Like, this is, she is really shaken up by, like, what has happened, and she's showing a lot of vulnerability that... She started to with Jennifer in the last episode, obviously, when she was in the bath and all that, like, happened to her. But, like, this is the most vulnerable that we have seen Cassie in season two so far. I think it's really interesting that it's with Jennifer. I mean, Jennifer's, like, she's safe in mm-hmm. in a way, like, of anyone. Like, I don't know. Jennifer just is the most empathetic of all of them. Yeah, she is. Is that like, just me? No, Ramsey says that to her in season three, right? Oh, see? Look at me. I remember like, stuff. You have to be a little bit crazy to be like a human being. She's really compassionate. And also maybe there's just something freeing. Jennifer lets her shit just hang out. Right? Like everybody, everybody knows. Downstairs in the lobby in her gym jams. What are you going to do? Like she's got like a butterfly bandaid on her head. Like she's fine. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, but I love the like, I appreciate the irony of what I'm about to say, but what if this is all in your head? (laughs) (laughs) But also it is, and it isn't. <laughs> like, it is in her head, but it is actually something that the witness is actually doing. Yeah, it's, it's not. An, it's a in her head, but it's externally placed there. Right. Um, and then there is, like, the phenomenal, like, foreshadowing for our future episode, what is the natural predator of the monkey, hyenas. Um, and I think it's great. It's, like... So great that Jennifer, instead of, like, Cassie is totally, like, obviously Cassie's the one who just experienced a super fucked up thing that just happened. But whereas Cassie is kind of thrown on her heels, Jennifer is, like, emboldened. Amped. Yeah. And beep, like, as you were saying, also, she knows the date of her death, and that emboldens you in a way. Heck yeah, it's not next week. She's, uh, you know, she's immortal for all intents and purposes at the moment. Yeah. Right? Like, if you have so much time before you know you're going to die, like, you could th- you could do anything and know that you're going to live. Right? Right. Yeah, I mean, until they change time. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Whoopsie. But it was written on a really nice piece of paper, so I think she's probably it's Nice, good. heavy, heavy cardstock. It looks very formal. Mm. <laughs> yes. Very nice penmanship. And in ink. Yeah, I mean, you can't get that off there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so you have Cassie describe to Jennifer what what the witness told her. Destroy time, you can beat death. You have that like doozy of a line. He made it sound almost beautiful. And then you have what Jennifer says, which is so important. And it is like ultimately like the one of the like the thesis. It's like a thesis of the show and goes toward the like happily ever now. Right. Is it's not. Death is everything. It's a time clock that makes us better, makes us love harder. It's what makes us human. 
I just kind of, I kind of got chills when she said that, like, on rewatch. Did you guys, like... I mean, you know that I don't have feels, but... (laughs) (laughs) It just Um, reminds me how Jennifer's always right. Right? Like, (laughs) damn. Like, always. Like, she is the perfect cryptic character making no fucking sense, and then you listen, you're like... Oh, that makes a lot of fucking sense. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it was, it, it's, a, it's a great line because it is, I mean, it's, it's what Cole then tries to tell her, which is, you know, without, without an end to something, without death, nothing before it has any meaning. And so death is everything. Everything that came before the death means nothing until there's that end. And then you get to look back and see everything that happened. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, yeah. cause, yeah, cause otherwise you don't know, you don't know that you're on a line until like it, it, it's done. And then, and then you're like, oh, I can, now there's perspective. Obviously, like we don't have, you know, perspective after we die or something like that, but the way that they're trying to explain it. Right. Or when people have experiences that either because of somebody else dying or because of something that happens in your own life that like reminds you of your own mortality, you do like love harder, right? Like, call someone up to tell that you love them or or like, you know, like, I think that that's, and it's interesting because it's like, then that will pass and you get sucked up into like the normal routine. Until something else happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, it's beautiful writing and it's just like, you know, it hits you like how early they were weaving these like themes. That's like the major one that you're left with in some of the final frames of the finale. Um, then, you know, we've got Jennifer's n- note to Cassie that she's got plenty of fight left, which I love that it's now Jennifer that's like bucking up Cassie. You know, like what a, what a shift <laughs> from but the I feel beginning. Like that's such a nice thing for characters because it lets it. It, it makes them more real in in the way that people do shift and evolve in their roles with each other, mm-hmm. or they should anyway. Like yeah, if you're always ed- if you're always the person that makes everyone else feel better, if that's like your role, like yeah, you can carry that for a lot of time, but sometimes you need to be the one taken care of. Yeah. Otherwise, you just burn out and get exhausted. And so the show does a very good job of sort of like letting everyone wear different emotional hats for each other Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. while still being in character, you know, like it's never, you're not like, whoa, that's, that came out of nowhere. That's weird. It's like, no, that, that was actually a very natural progression. And like, let me carry this burden for you. Right. And Jennifer is going to carry burdens for Cassie, like with respect to keeping Ethan a secret. Um, And then it's going to go back around, right? Like, after Deacon dies and Jennifer's hands are all torn up, like, Cassie's going to, like, care for her, tuck her in, right? It it even is kind of, like, a bookend to, like, what she's doing in this episode. So, yeah, it is – there's ebb and flow. It it does feel like a real relationship in that way. Like, they feel, like, more – the characters feel more real because there's that ebb and flow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then Jennifer's taking hers to the, she's taking her fight to the streets, (laughs) which is previewing Hyena, which is around the corner. Um, and we close the episode with the witness going in Cassie's head and the black eyes. What are you going to do? I know. (laughs) Damn it, Olivia. Uh, We're going to get into, um, I mean, we'll get into it obviously during meltdown, but it, it's just such a like invasion in every way it's just horrible 
<laughs> like watch the height of the witness before we knew it was I can't remember if we only ever saw like witness face like up in close or if we ever saw like a a, a sort of scale perspective um but I want to know how tall the witness was <laughs> and if and if we should have known that it wasn't Ethan way early on right I mean this season does I guess you know I didn't Season four gave us like little images of things, but this season really does give us like a teaser, right? Like last episode, she saw Aaron Marker's face and then they pay that out in this episode because the witness is going to use that form and appear to her. At the end of this episode, she's going to see um, when she's trapped in the house of cedar and pine, she's going to see the witness walking through the bunker. I think it's also interesting that you've got – Right before the witness goes into her head, you've got the window with the um, – it's like an open window, which is kind of like Cassie looking through the window and she's going to see Titan in the next episode. So it's just interesting how they like fold in all of these like quick images and it's all going to pay out like by the next episode. But also in other ways you couldn't possibly imagine. <laughs> Way to, but, way to set that up. No pressure. Oh, I know. But isn't it crazy to think that it's Olivia in Cassie's head? Right? Like, I watching it last night, and Olivia is my favorite. Like, I, it did not occur to me last night. I was like, no, the witness. And I was like, you know who the witness is. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Right. Like, I catch myself being like, the witness is like, no, it's Olivia. I mean, the other thing is, like, this is a woman invading, like, another woman's, like, autonomy and, like, it's, like, another reason, like, this has a profound, understandably, a profound effect on Cassie. It's kind of, like, added to the list of why it is so satisfying that it is Cassie that finally takes Olivia down, right? Like, at the end. she She's not, she didn't mention that one mid-punches. <laughs> she's, like, for my son, for this. But, like, let's just add this to, like, a list of grievances of that Cassie has for Olivia. <laughs> Go ahead and nail those to the wall. <laughs> Did you guys have anything else? No, nope. ma'am. All right. Joe, thanks so much for coming on. It's thanks so for fun. having me. Yeah. It was super fun. And you're coming back. Are you coming I think, back for Enemy? Uh, I think I think I signed up. I can't remember if it was one or two of them. So we'll just just bother me and we'll 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 make it happen. You're doing our big Olivia episodes. Well, so obviously. Think, yeah, yeah, yeah. So and then uh, but you know, if you get a bunch of negative feedback, my feelings won't be hurt. Just lie to me and say it was something else. Be like, oh, oh scheduling God. conflict. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> So next up, um, Bubs is coming back to discuss 207 Meltdown, uh, the creepy horror bottle episode where Cassie- Bubs loves horror and creepy. That's why we're having her. It's also super shippy. So it like checks all of the Bubs boxes. (laughs) So, (laughs) So if you guys don't have anything else, then we'll see you soon.